live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. This is the entertainment edition of the ODPH, so definitely we want to carry on the conversation with you after the show is done. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Podchaser, TikTok. You name it, we're there. And always remember, use the hashtag ODPHpod. Let us kick off this edition of the podcast, though, recapping the season finale of Disney Plus's huge hit, Loki. I mean, it's a modest hit. A few people have watched it. I mean, this is teetering around the WandaVision level of excitement. Marvel Studios has definitely came back in a big way on the streaming service to introduce the next phase of their cinematic universe. And Mm -hmm. in six episodes... Dare I say they have set the bar extremely high for I mean, their live action. I mean, the bar was already set pretty high with Falcon Winter Soldier and WandaVision. And this one's definitely been good. In terms of like the special effects, they've definitely raised the bar with their special effects. I'll say that much. Yeah, they definitely have gone in some different territory with this. And obviously, when you're talking time travel and the God of Mischief played by the one and only Tom Hiddleston, you're definitely going to be dabbling around in different elements and trying to do a lot to really make yourself stand out because let's face it, Marvel has a lot of programs lined up for Disney Plus. Let's say you're also dealing with more costume changes than a Madonna concert. Exactly. So they want to make sure that every show has their own unique feel, their own vibe, everything to really say this is a truly unique experience. Now we've seen this with WandaVision, which was a complete different element of the MCU that we haven't seen before. Falcon and Winter Soldier redefined what we saw in the action espionage realm. Mm-hmm. And then this show was nothing that we were fully expecting. So it was the biggest X factor of the three because, you know, just from the trailers alone, WandaVision we knew was going to be kind of a riff on on popular television from over the years. Falcon Winter Soldier we knew was going to be a more traditional Marvel presentation, I guess you could say, that it was going to be more like the movies that we're used to. Loki was the biggest, like, what in the world is actually going to happen with this because we can't tell. Exactly. We had no idea what to expect because obviously we knew this was only going to be following the events after Endgame, mm-hmm. where Loki stole the Tesseract out from the original Avengers movie. We had no idea how this is all going to play out, but whoa, were we introduced to a whole new plethora of characters in the MCU. Gugu Mothbara played Ravona Renslayer, Owen Wilson played Mobius, Sophia DiMartino played The Variant, aka Sylvie, Umi Masaku played Hunter B-15, and we got introduced to a whole new level of intrigue in dealing with time travel in the MCU. Because let's face it, Avengers Endgame was so heavily based on that, Mm -hmm. 
that it just kind of opened the door, and this real this show really just kicked it in. I'll say it's kind of like when you learn math in school, and like you learn like there's numbers one through ten, and then it just kind of progressively goes on and on, and you learn more about numbers. This is like taking your knowledge of math from like one to ten, and all of a sudden introducing like negative numbers and and fake numbers and zero numbers and all that shit. Exactly. This was just a whole different element that we haven't seen before. And dare I say, this has fully replaced Legends of Tomorrow as being the closest we will see to Doctor Who on American television. I mean, I'm watching one and not watching the other, so yes. Yeah, but just to see in comparison, because how Legends used to be very strong in that vein and really go for the funny and yet serious tone, which Doctor Mm -hmm. Who can pull off in their sleep. Oh, God, yeah. Especially with time travel. This has been the closest I've seen to it. And I think they surpassed Legends because one thing that I'm very critical of watching Legends of Tomorrow is they've really gone into the funny, wacky hijinks mode mm-hmm. instead of keeping it really grounded around the story. It just seems like their humor is now becoming more forced each yeah. and every time. Yeah, like it, it feels like they're just going for strict comedic you know, missions and plots. Whereas instead of going with kind of the more serious, like, all right, listen, we need to take care of this or else bad things are going to happen because of this. And it's just, oh, shucks, guys, what kind of fun and antics are we going to get into today? Yeah, it just has really gone away from where they started out, which I think really hurts this show. And that's a whole different conversation because in comparison to Loki, it's just not matching up. Sorry. Loki has delivered on a truly fantastic tale that has started out from being a whodunit to now has been the literal backbone of where we're going in the next phase of the MCU. Mm -hmm. So for six episodes, it definitely carved its niche into pop culture. Mm -hmm. And we are going to be talking spoilers. And I want to give this precedent. We do have a 72-hour social media embargo, which means we are not posting any spoilers on our accounts. We want to give you fair warning to watch the show at your own leisure. We won't spoil anything because, trust us, Today, as we are recording on Wednesday, the spoilers have been out in full force. Say, there were some very notable sites. I won't name them because I don't want to send people over to set articles and go after said people. But there were some notable sites that were posting some, I wouldn't say huge spoilers, but like you can kind of draw some conclusions off of what the headlines were. Yes. There's two big factors that we will deep dive into from this episode that will be huge moving forward. But for a lot of sites today, they were really just posting... Like at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Yeah, at ridiculous hours, they are posting about these big spoilers, which if you were unfortunately on social media, you got caught out there. And it's unfortunate because fans really try ducking this as much as they can. But sometimes you just have to go on social media for whatever reason. You just have to. We here at the ODPH definitely do not want to feed into that. And thus, we have our 72-hour embargo. But we do give you fair warning right now. We are going to be talking spoilers about episode six for all time always. We are going to put the timestamp in the show notes so you know when to skip so you don't have anything ruined until you watch it. And then we want you to come back and hear the episode. Give us your feedback. Let us know what you thought of the show because, man, we got a lot to digest with this one. Mm -hmm. So that being said, you have been given the official ODPH spoiler warning because we're going to start talking about spoilers for episode six. Entitled for all time, always in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? I thought it was a really good episode. Uh, although until I was, until I was all the way through it, I thought the ending was kind of like, yeah, you know, I was kind of like, wait, that's it. And then as we discussed, we, we got through the 
midway through the credits. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a really good episode. Marvel did an amazing job keeping one of the biggest debuts in the MCU under wraps. Jonathan Majors, who we know is casted to be Kang the Conqueror, made his debut in this show. Right. But it is not Kang who we saw. Mm -hmm. Because where we finally get introduced to Majors' character is we see the events that have unfolded in the past five episodes. That Loki and Sylvie have made their way to the end of time. Right. Because their whole ideal has been to take down the Time Variance Authority. They have been in their weird limbo state where they had to fight magical creatures. They've met Mm -hmm. variants of Loki in ranging from classic to kid to the all-great and powerful alligator Loki. Yeah. So now they have finally defeated Aleth, the creature that was keeping everybody at bay. They have now gone to the Citadel at the end of time, which that was the magical castle Mm -hmm. that we saw at the end of episode five. We didn't really know what it was. There was a lot no. of rumors that that was going to be Kang's city that he lives in. But as we see when our protagonists are making their way to the castle, they get stopped by Miss Minutes, who gives them a very unique offer. Mm-hmm. And that offer is basically to go back in the timeline and be saved from being wiped out. Mm-hmm. And Loki gets his wildest dreams fulfilled so if he buys that i got a boat to sell him exactly he gets told if you go back you'll be the one who wins the battle of new york from avengers one you'll be the one that goes back and defeats thanos and you can have the infinity gauntlet yeah it is the gift that is just too good to be true and sylvie is offered the same deal in in her own way that she's offered, well, you'll be saved and you won't have to be taken out of the timeline. You can right. live in I, Asgard. I, th- I think she even got the offer to live in, in Loki's timeline. Yeah, they were offered both. Because like, I, I don't think it was outright said, like verbatim, like you can live in this timeline. But like it was kind of in, inferred that like two in the same two in the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Miss Minutes is delivering this from the boss of the TVA known as He Who Remains. Mm-hmm. Now that's kind of an interesting way to introduce the boss because I know in the comics... There is a different interpretation of who this character is. But when we start dipping into this episode, we do get a quick flashback to the TVA, and Ravona is searching through the files. Yep. And Miss Minutes is actually given another file to give her mm-hmm. that has some undisclosed information that we don't know about. But we can see that, obviously, this mysterious character is pulling the strings as we're going along. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting ploy that they're doing because – we get sold about this idea, which just has so much Wizard of Oz vibes to it. Kind of, yeah. That the person behind the curtain is just manipulating everybody involved. And there's a true endgame that's going on, but we just don't know it. But then as we see the Loki and Sylvie turn the deal down, they are greeted by Major's character, who in the show is titled He Who Remains. But if you notice what he is wearing, you recognize... That he is Immortus, a variant of Kang who has been a staple throughout the Marvel Universe, especially with the Avengers. He is not a hero by any means, but he is another version of Kang that has his own ultimatum going on. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I completely marked out. And if you listen to last week's podcast, you know I dropped that. So I'm excited. I was right about this because I'm excited to see how this was going to play out and to see Jonathan Majors make his appearance. Yeah. And he absolutely stole this episode, too, by the way. 
He just was there and just so happy to finally see Loki and Sylvie. And it was almost this joyful, flamboyant excitement. Yeah. And, and I guess my one gripe with the episode, and I guess the season overall, is just the the not so clear cut, strong hint that something else was going on that just like the last episode at the start of the episode hey by the way there's a guy pulling the strings and they're, 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 like you couldn't have like breadcrumb that before and left little hints and little stuff along the way like you had to wait until episode six to finally drop that in there well i think what they wanted to do is they were making such a point about keeping fans at bay that they really were tiptoeing around tipping anything off like, I understand what you're saying. Like, I think if they did a little more information about it, episode five, I think it would have had more of a carryover. Like, if we saw him introduced at the end of episode five. Oh, oh I'm not even talking introducing him. I'm just talking, about, like, dropping some hints that something else is going on, that something else. Like, when the when the TVA figureheads were killed, that like, hey, listen, you know, the, the heads of the TVA are gone, but we're still getting orders coming in, and there's no real clear-cut order of how, like, order of operations like okay this person's like line of succession like this person steps up when this person's gone like we're still getting orders yet there's nobody actually in charge like what's going like what's going like i wish it would have been something like that i could see that too i mean that's just a minor plot hole but i do see your point though i think if it was a little more clear-cut information about that it would have had a little more impact but you had to figure something was going on because of how secretive the tva has been this entire time that there was just so much secrecy they want to keep everybody guessing. and But if it was just so clear-cut, I don't think it would have had as much impact, but I think it would have had a stronger feel to it. But I digress. As we start seeing, though, Mortis is just completely happy about messing with the Lokis. And we do get a little bit about the backstory of how the TVA was created and how he explains how the, that there was a person from the 31st century who came in and it was meeting all the different people from the timelines. But then it it seemed like it just was jealousy was building up and thus caused a war between all the variants, which was a very interesting way to word it. Yeah. That how somebody just happened to conquer the timelines. Hmm. Love how they did that. So as Amortis is telling this story, he does switch just enough to keep Loki from fully grasping the idea. And he says, well, I'm giving you a choice now because I know you're here to kill me because I know your moves. Mm -hmm. I have everything written out, which, I mean, goes to a flashback to episode one. Yeah. That he knows exactly what they're doing because when Sylvie is trying her damnedest to kill him, yeah. it's just not happening. Uh, uh, you and, almost had it. Yeah, and he's messing with him completely. Like, Jonathan Majors is absolutely living this up. And it's so cool to see just how he's doing this because when you know Kang is coming, it's going to be a complete different vibe. So seeing how he's messing with him and he's just saying, listen, you can kill me and the whole timeline ends, but you're going to cause another time multiverse cataclysmic event. If you're ready to do that, okay, because basically I've done everything I want to do here. I'm bored. Yeah. I'm tired, which is something that you get that vibe when you read some Amortis comics. So that's why I say it's very stronger that he is Amortis in this episode rather than the he who remains. Because if you know anything about that story involving Thor and, and such, you don't get that sense that it just has that much impact. Like it's just another character that they're just trying to smokescreen everybody about. 
But with Immortus, it's he's been at the end of the century. He feels like he's won everything. There's nothing else to do. So when he makes the offer, like, you can kill me and everything gets reset. Yeah. Or you can take over the TVA. Yeah. Let me go Let me go into retirement. You run things. I'm, yeah. I'm bored. Yeah, because you have proven yourself worthy to take over this role. Perfect. What a great job application. And he's so excited about it, too. Like I said. A little too excited. He's a little too excited. Like I say, this reminds me a little bit of like when I've read recent X-Men books about how they're writing Mr. Sinister. Yeah. He's just like completely over the top with his enthusiasm. And this vibe was definitely felt because Loki is just sitting there. And he's trying to figure out the end game as well, too. Like yeah. He knows he's there's a con involved. And he's just trying to see what is the definite end game about I th- this. I think he even says it in the episode that, like, you can't trick a trickster or, you know, you can't kid a kidder. Like, he sees through this. Yeah, he's definitely seeing right through this. And that's the smart role to do. Because when he is analyzing everything going on, he's the one that's really taking his time to do this. Oh, yeah. Sylvie, on the other hand, is definitely not. Like, Sylvie. No, she, she's definitely blinded by her rage and, and vengefulness. Mm-hmm. That, like, she's been at this for so long that, you know, it, it's one of those things, like, you go through, you know, any trial or something in your life that, like, it just takes a while to get there. You finally get to, like, the precipice, and you're like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm here. Like, she's there with in front of the person that, to her, has royally screwed over her life. And it's like, I don't care what you say. You can tell me you're, you know, going to offer me a zillion dollars and I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm still going to kill you. Yeah. It's just kind of the one of those plays that Sylvia is so committed about killing the head of the TVA that she's not hearing anything. Like she no, literally she's has, got blinders. Yeah, she's got tunnel vision. Like, that's all she has. And then Loki has to make the save because she does try killing him. And then they wind up getting into a little sword fight going on, too. So the battle is taking place, and, and you just see Immortus in the background. He's living this up. Like, he is so ecstatic the only about thing, this. The only thing missing was, like, him doing, like, the Emperor did in Return of the Jedi and just cackling. Yeah, I, I was fully waiting on that, too, because he is just <laughs> he's just living this moment up. Because once this duel is happening, and Sylvie is just completely blinded by her own rage that she is just saying, Loki, you just want the throne to yourself. You're going to turn on me like everybody else. And Loki says the line is like, you you don't trust and I can't be trusted. But I'm telling you right now, we need to think this through because if there's a shadow of doubt that what we do will cause this big cataclysmic event, we really need to think about this before we act. And it makes complete sense because if there's a shadow of truth to what Immortus is saying, mm-hmm. this is going to reset everything. Like the, You can't even wrap your head around the gravity of the situation. Right. And it's such a cool thing to see because Loki does understand that she, uh, that he's toying with everybody, but there's got to be an endgame to it. So after there's kind of this really pauseful moment where Sylvie seems like they're coming together, she winds up kissing Loki. Boy, that had to be awkward. Yeah, that was definitely a weird situation. Seen to see kissing yourself, yeah, okay. But if you've ever read Norse mythology, Loki uh, has a very interesting romantic. He's got history. a he's got a very active love life. Yeah, and we'll just put it mildly, and we'll leave it at that. And then, but after just leave that, the sugar cubes at home. Yeah, facts. But after we see this kiss happen, she shoves Loki through a portal. Yep. So he goes back. So I guess that that little device that lets them open portals she had is working. Yes. Surprise, surprise. I think we said that. Yeah, we did call that, too. But as we get flashing back to the TVA, there was another minor story that was going on, too. And we see that Mobius has returned. 
and and come back to take down the TVA or try pleading with Ravona to figure out what has really been going on. Dude should have realized, like, he ain't going to do it. Yeah, because Ravona has her own endgame as well because if she is getting direct messages from Amortis about what to do and basically her reasons for her actions, which she is saying, listen, if everybody just has free will, yeah, there'll be chaos. You I'll need- say she, she's got her head so far up in Mortis's ass that like she can't tell which way's up. Yeah, and it's very, very, ta- very telling and very strong scene right there because once they're going through, Mobius is saying, no, I've seen the light and you're a variant. I'm a variant. Everybody's a variant. We need to be freed. Yeah. And he tries using that scepter to send her to the void. Yep. And fails. Yep. And Ravona just says, no, I can't let you win. I'm going to find out this on my own. Right. Opens her own portal and takes off. Uh-huh. And then we have the saga of Hunter B-15. Who's on the run. Who's on the run and winds up in 2018. Yep. Fremont, Ohio. Yep. And what's she doing there, Pat? Uh, well, she's on the run, running from the other hunters uh, that are trying to get her because, well, she's rogue at this point. You know, she needs to be pruned from the timeline. Uh, and they go into a classroom, and she's trying to convince more and more people that, hey, listen, this everything's not on the up and up as you as you might assume, uh, and you should never assume mm-hmm. uh, that. You know, they try. She tries convincing one of the hunters that's chasing her that, like, hey, listen, you're not born and bred from this TVA outside the timeline lifestyle, you know, let me show it to you. And they're cause you find out they're in a school and they go into a classroom and who walks into said classroom? Ravona. Yeah. And she is just, who are, a, who are you? What are you doing in my classroom? Yeah. She is just sitting there going, I was a twist completely puzzled. What's going on. And Hunter B 15 and the other uh, soldier there are just saying, you what the fuck you see what I mean? And then their story ends, which I thought was kind of a really interesting cliffhanger. To yeah, do this this is the point where, like, for me, I started going, "What the hell is going on?" Because I know you'd said that it was going to get a season two, but I was, but I hadn't bought it yet because I was like, I don't remember them saying it was going to get a season two. I was like, I don't, I think this is just the one season. So I'm like, what are they doing, leaving plot lines like this, you know, with fringes on the end of them? Yeah, I mean, it was heavily rumored, and I I forget who it was at Marvel Studios that said that there was a strong possibility for a Loki Season 2 sure. and a Falcon and Winter Soldier Season 2. Sure. They said WandaVision is one and done. So right. I think I read somewhere today that What If is going to get a Season 2. Oh, I would imagine so, because that's completely out of the timeline, so that isn't going to mess anything up. But to have your other shows now have multiple seasons, that does throw a lot of possibilities in the air. And thus, you saw with the cliffhangers that they just didn't wrap up for a season right. finale, you kind of had a tendency to believe, okay, we're going to come back here at some point. Right. Because, obviously, if it's the season finale and we're not tying up uh, loose ends, chances are we're coming back at some stage. And when we're speaking about coming back, we do wind up going back to the TVA, and we know that Sylvie has gone through with what she's planned to do because she kills Amortis, who says a very, very creepy line Mm -hmm. and he says well as as she's coming towards him he says well i'll see you soon yeah and then obviously at the tva loki is back in his cell Mm -hmm. we do see that b15 has now come back yep and mobius are having a word too they're they're talking about the timeline like at one point 
they're looking at a the display screen that shows the timeline and the branches and just how many there are. And like they say, I forget the number they said, but they're like, oh, there's X number in, in this quadrant or whatever, you know, now. And Loki then shows up. Mm-hmm. And then we see, that obviously, the timeline is splintering all over the place. And we do hear Mobius and B-15 say, for all time, always. Because mm-hmm. they now know everything that we have established thus far is completely changed. Yeah, they're so far up Shit's Creek without a paddle and ain't even funny. Yeah. And we see Loki having a breakdown in his cell because he now knows yeah. he failed again. He fucked up. He fucked up. Yeah. He fucked up. And you see that he has thought that he had this all planned out. He was going to win. He was finally going to be the good guy. And mm-hmm. everything failed again. Uh-huh. And you see Hiddleston have that breakdown moment, and I thought it was some powerful acting right there. Oh, it is, because you got the thing we got to remember is this isn't, you know, Thor Ragnarok Loki. This isn't beginning Avengers Infinity War Loki. This is Avengers 1 Loki. Yes. So this is a Loki who doesn't have all the, the trials and tribulations and experiences that his other self did. This is a Loki that, you know, has seen what has happened in the future and says, I can change things. I can do different. I can do better. I've been given a second chance. And he took that and he held on to that. That like that was his driving force of like, I can do better. And he failed. Yeah, he failed. So he goes running out. He's trying to see the calamity that's going on. And it was kind of a tell sign, too, that something had changed because all the soldiers yeah. were walking by him. Yep. Nobody blinked an eye at him. Yep. So it was like, oh, something has changed yeah. here. And this is not good. So as he's running through the library mm-hmm. of the TVA, he runs into Mobius and B-15. Yep. And he's explaining that there is an event that has happened. There's going to be a multiverse war coming. There's there's multiple people coming. Yeah. He literally gives them the breakdown, and they do what, Pad? They call it, They call him an analyst. They're like, listen, so you're an analyst. Like, file that under a report someplace. Yeah. They don't recognize him. He has now been wiped away from the timeline. I don't think so. See, that's where I wasn't sure because I'm I don't. Like, I don't think so because I think the tell is when he free. They walk away. He freaks out, and the, the camera pans to out in the middle of the the library. Like if you were to look down, it's like probably the entryway or whatever. And the statue wasn't of the three TVA heads. It was of the guy. It was of Kang. It was. I th- I think he's in another timeline. He might be per se because you you look at what was happening. They made a very deliberate point of I think when they were bouncing back between the TVA and then the end of time to before they jump back to like uh, Sylvie talking with the guy to show the timeline that it was going through the building perfectly fine and coming out the other end and it was splintering and fraying. Oh, that's a good catch. They made a very deliberate point of showing that and it was there long enough. It wasn't a blink and you miss it. It's a very deliberate show. And then they made a point of showing the TV screen and all of the timelines branching off. Mm. I think he's in another timeline. I think he got thrown through another t- into another timeline. That'll be a very interesting thing to see because the way I took it is that Kang has now come back. Right, Kang's come back. And then the other thing too, they weren't after Loki. They also weren't going nuts after B fifteen because you got you got to remember. Couple minutes ago, she was just running through twenty eighteen in Ohio, getting hunted by other hunters. Oh, that's a good point. So she was, she's standing there in the middle of the damn daylight, 
going, just chatting it up. See, the way I took it is I thought that with Immortus being dead, Kang came back in and took over. No, I thought and started I, making I think moves. he's in another timeline. No, that's a it's a great theory. You know, I'm well, I'm buying that one now because that does make a lot of sense. Because they because the, in, in an earlier episode they made again made a deliberate point of showing the statue of the three TVA guys that even after they were killed, that statue was still there. Yeah, but the statue we saw was Kang. Yeah, because he was in the full garb too. If you recognize oh, the yeah. comic suit, yeah, he was in the full garb. Yeah. Because I, I, th- I think it's like a Back to the Future type of thing, where at least Back to the Future wasn't so like over and like, hey, you know, but Back to the Future was two two Pines Mall or whatever it was. And then when he went back and changed things, came back, one Pines Mall. Yeah, that's a very good catch pad. Man, that's a really good catch. And that's a great theory, too. I didn't even think about that because I'm so used to everything being one linear timeline. But now with everything splintered, and they do mention about how it's madness with the multiverse, too. Mm-hmm. That line was thrown in there specifically. There's a certain Marvel Avenger uh, Sorcerer Supreme who's really slacking on his job. Yeah, because now the gateway has been opened. Because I'm willing to bet, you know, they said that time works differently, you know, there as opposed to Earth. I'm willing to bet that these two moments, like these two events, are going. this event is going on simultaneously with everything in WandaVision. And that would make sense. Uh, Doctor Strange 2 is going to get wild. Yeah. Oh, Doctor Strange multi- Multiverse of Madness is going to be absolutely insane because we do know that this events are going to lead right into it. I say, and Hollywood Reporter did say this morning that Loki is going to be in Doctor Strange 2. Yeah, so Do- Tom Hiddleston will be in there. That is going to be one of the most star-studded casts. It's going to be the craziest story I think I've ever seen. Well, you think about it for all the, the people that have been tagged to it. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, Elizabeth Olsen, Tom Hiddleston. You see all these people that are going to be involved. That when No Way Home comes out, I always say it's far from home. So if I said it earlier, I do apologize. But when you see that No Way Home is going to be tying everybody in together, and then it's going to go directly into Doctor Strange 2, mm-hmm. there is so much to juggle around with the storyline that to come out of this Disney Plus show as the pace car for Phase 4 is truly astonishing. Yeah, like I, I'm really curious at this point what in the actual fuck Doctor Strange has been doing this entire time. Because this ain't just he's asleep at the wheel. This is like he's in a coma and can't respond. Well, if the timeline is splintered as badly as it has, you have to figure he's trying to fix everything at once. Yeah, maybe. And obviously with the Avengers not together, as we know, he's trying to take on the world by himself, which is foolish. But then again, Doctor Strange is known to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is very interesting to see how it's all going to play out because as this episode ends, it's Loki staring at the statue of Kang. And then it fades out. And then we do get that quick bonus scene that it has been officially confirmed by Marvel yep. that Loki will be back in season two. Right, which this was the moment that I went, oh, now that whole ending makes sense. Like, I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out the where the because I, I thought there was going to be one season. Yeah. And I'm going through this whole ending going, wait, that's it? Like, what the. F- you know, you know what is going on here. So then we get midway through the credits. Loki will return for season two. I'm like, ah, uh, okay, that makes a lot more sense now. Well, especially because it was so heavily rumored it was coming back that we all thought they were. It was just anything but official. But you never know how it's going to go. Marvel wants to keep the fans guessing, which I fully appreciate. I like having to figure this out. I don't like to go and complete Miss Mephisto watch. Mm-hmm. But I do like to guess at this stuff. Because now that we know Loki is coming back, yep. we assume it's going to be Tom Hiddleston for um, all intents and purposes. Yeah. And we're going to have to see the fallout, what happens with the TVA, because obviously with Hunter B-15 tracking down Ravona in 2018, 
Ravona's own side uh, mission that she's on, mm-hmm. and now what timeline he's in, if it is a timeline. I mean, there's just so many questions that came out of this, but it was the perfect way to wrap up this se- season. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. For what they pulled off here was truly keeping the fans guessing, and for what the biggest X factor was going to be on the Disney Plus shows, they hit it out of the park. Tom Hiddleston did an amazing job giving you a crime drama in space and mm-hmm. time, but he pulls it off very easily because, like I say, the space that he's in to work with is multiple timelines, multiple areas. There's a lot of juggling going around. He pulled it off great. He had a great supporting cast with him. Yeah. That everybody added something different to it, that it wasn't just so cut and dry. Okay, we got to stop the TVA because once you start peeling the layers back, you really got to see that there is more going on with this. Right. And for Marvel to introduce their next big bad this way, because we all knew that Kang was going to appear in Ant-Man 3. Yeah, they've, they've said as much. Yeah, they've fully said that Jonathan Majors was slated to appear in Ant-Man 3. But to keep that completely under wraps and have him show up, albeit as a mortis, because fans are already thinking that was Kang. Right. And, I mean, technically. Well, it's not hard to keep it under wraps. They probably filmed this in the middle or, you know, poor beginning part of the pandemic when nobody could go anywhere. Oh, well, you think. But still, just the fact that this day and age to have a true spoiler avoided is is amazing. Like you say, with Mark Hamill appearing yeah. on the, the Mandalorian, that's probably yeah. the only one. But to have this big moment kept under wraps, nobody leaked anything. Well, and they did the smart thing, unlike Paul Bettany, go, oh, there's going to be a major uh, surprise for a person showing up. Well, I think they learned from that, too. Because, I mean, I know what Paul Bettany was trying to do. And with that, I think that people did not realize the reaction was going to be with the fan base. Yeah. Because at that point, everybody was clamoring for new MCU content. Well, and and at that point, he said it so early on in in the season that it left a lot of time for a lot of people to sit there and speculate and go to wild conclusions. Yes. So now that we have the benchmark kind of set of what to do and what not to do, Loki really established a true time-space odyssey. Yeah. And I thought they definitely got fans interested into what was going to be a throwaway story. Because let's face it, we all didn't really expect this to go the direction it did. No. I don't think anybody did. I think no. you, you can honestly ask people, and they'll be like, I wasn't sure what I was watching. But, man, they really did an amazing story to weave timelines, and especially to deal with time travel, we always say, is one of the messiest plots to ever do. Mm-hmm. You can really get off the path that you want to walk and go in some weird directions that – really hurt a story, or yeah. you can really nail it, and when you do, it comes off flawlessly. Like I say, Doctor Who is the is the precedent benchmark of how to do it right. Oh, yeah. They've been doing it so long, and they can really show shows how to do it. And not even just time travel, like stories involving where your main character finds out what happens to them in the future. Yeah. Like, there's just so much examples to be taken from Doctor Who that Loki really absorbed it like a sponge, and they really delivered on it that now we have the big bang of Phase 4 already established now. It's crazy to think that. Yeah. But we're here. And now as we go on to the next movies, it's really going to play a big factor into what we're going to see involving the Avengers franchise moving forward. Yeah. So, Pad, final thoughts on Loki. Really good show. Liked it a lot more than I thought it would. I, I thought I'd enjoy it, but I didn't know I'd enjoy it this much. Uh, and I can't wait for season two. This show was a very big surprise, a very happy surprise, that they teetered around 
the time stream, introduces do some new characters, brought back some old faces per se, as we saw the different incarnations of Loki. And Tom Hiddleston delivered a masterpiece of a performance to come back in and really give some layers to a character that we've seen already and present him in a new light was truly phenomenal. That now we have the big bang moment, like I said, of the next phase of the MCU. We don't know where we're going to go from here. We do know what we have slated up for the movies. Mm -hmm. We know Shang-Chi is coming out in September. We know that No Way Home is coming out in December for Spider-Man. Doctor Strange 2 is coming out. Eternals. Eternals is lurking as well. Who knows what we're going to get out of that one. But now we have the starting point for the next phase of the MCU. And I, for one, can't wait to see where we go. But you heard our takes, but let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. Loki, episode six, what did you think? We want to have that discussion about for all time always. So let us know. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jam, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove Podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove Podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. Coming back for another segment here on the ODPH Podcast. And finally, we get the return of the MCU to the big screen. Last segment we talked the small screen, but now we're fully at the big screen because one of the long-awaited projects from Marvel Studios finally debuted in theaters. Uh And that is Black Widow starring the one and only Scarlett Johansson. We went with a great group of the ODPH family. Yeah. Oh, God, I think Tom Toretto just ran in. Oh, he might have, actually, because <laughs> I think he's saying, how did anybody beat the, the family? Nobody beats the family. But, yeah, no, we went with our 607 Podcast fam as well from 8122 Productions, Excite Wrestling. Liz Bailey was in the house. Uh, the dog was in the house. That's true. Yes, and he doesn't come out for any movies, really. But this had a lot of hype behind it because we have been hearing about this movie for such a long time. Like two years. Obviously, with everything going on in the world, we completely understand why it didn't debut in yeah. theaters. yeah. The big question was, was it going to come to Disney Plus? Was it worth the wait? Was it worth the wait? And we are going to start deep diving into everything Black Widow. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, we're giving you fair warning because we're going to start talking everything involved in this movie in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? And let's talk some numbers. Yeah, so uh, looking at how the movie did over the weekend, uh, it was number one in the domestic domestic box office, uh, making a pandemic record uh, $80 million plus dollars at the uh, box office, beating out F9 uh, by a whopping amount. Uh, Black Widow made just over $80 million. F9 made just about $11.5 million. Uh, and so that was a pandemic record beating Fast 9 by like a couple weeks because a couple weeks ago when Fast 9 came out, they had $70 million, which was a pandemic record. Well, Disney and the Mouse just beat you by $10 million. Uh, also, looking at the numbers uh, internationally, to da- so to date, excuse me, uh, Black Widow has made uh, $87.5 million domestically. Internationally, it has made $78 million. Uh, and so that gives it a worldwide total gross of $165.5 million. 
That is an insane number for Disney Plus. Oh yeah, that, yeah. Because the thing I think with those domestic numbers, the Disney Plus is factored into it too. Like I was I was reading articles that like the like with the domestic stuff that like somehow they figured out what it was domestically for Disney Plus. Sixty million. Is this yeah? It was like sixty million or something for Disney Plus or something like that. Yeah, crazy si- like that. Yeah, sixty million for Disney Plus, eighty million at the box office. Yeah, this was just such a big win, and it proved that there was one family stronger than the Toretto's in the Fast Nine universe, and that is the Romanoff family. This is true. Because as this movie kicks off, and obviously there is so much hype behind this, we weren't really sure what to expect. There was a bunch of time jumping going around because where we kick off is in the 90s. Yes. And we do see that there's a family in Ohio Mm -hmm. that is not as everything appears as it seems. No. That we do see the characters of Alexei, played by David Harbour. Yep. And... Rachel Weiss, who is playing Melina, and their two young daughters are now entranced in this big espionage heist that when Alexei walks in the room after the family's coming together for dinner and, and mm-hmm. it opens up with this very nice beginning. Yeah. Girls are playing together. The, the What is it? The uh, younger younger sister gets injured. She, like, scrapes her knee. Mm-hmm. Mom comes and kisses her, kisses her on the knee. Goes, oh, that's all right. You'll be okay. You know, stand up. You know, she learns about bioluminescence. And, God, I was getting Avatar flashbacks. Yeah. You do see that they, not everything is what it seems like. This kind of had, you remember the show on FX, The Americans? I was having deja vu. It was exactly that kind of vibe because Alexei comes in and says our cover is blown. We he have, came in, I thought he was like, I'm like, shit, did he get fired? Yeah, something was definitely going on. And you see that he just immediately gets everybody going. And Molina has to go round up the girls. And they make their escape because who is coming after them, Pat? Uh, Shield. Shield. Saw the logo and all. Yep. So they're coming to track them down. Couldn't get a Clark Gregg. I know. Come on. Especially that time period. We just saw him in Captain Marvel. Anything is possible. True. But we do see that there is a big high-speed chase because they're trying to get to a plane to escape. They definitely pull it off, albeit a little kind of crazy hijinks, as you see the super soldier serum that is in the Red Guardian, per se. He hangs onto a goddamn plane wing. Yeah, they didn't really kind of dive into that too much because, obviously, he's a genetically enhanced agent. There's no way he held onto that the entire time, right? I think he did. Because they take off in Ohio. They land in fucking Cuba. Yeah. That's a ways. It is definitely a ways. But I'm just saying, this is what they did not go deep diving into a little bit. Because we do know that he is Red Guardian in the comics. And obviously, he is the Russian counterpart of Captain America. So, he definitely is the head of the Winter Guard that is their superhero team in the Soviet Union. But as we see, they make their escape over to Cuba. And they meet up with Drakoff, who's played by Ray Weinstone. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, do you have what I, I'm asking for? Alexa gives him a floppy disk because, remember, it's the, the 90s. 90s. And then immediately at that point, the girls are drugged. Mm-hmm. And we see that there's this big montage opening up with a very creepy version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. That, and, which I couldn't figure that out until halfway through. I'm like, oh, shit, it smells like Teen Spirit. Yeah. And it's I a, dug the cover. Oh, it's a very cool cover. It's a good cover. And as we see that they're now getting brought into the Red Room program. So they right. lightly touched upon this. Right. And this this isn't before they try taking the girls away, the younger sister away specifically, mm-hmm. that a young Natasha uh, shows off her proficiency already with hand-to-hand combat because they try taking, the soldiers try taking her sister away. She disarms one of the soldiers 
takes the pistol from him and is then all of a sudden pointing the pistol at the soldiers saying, no, 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 you won't take her from me. And she's what, like 10 or 11? Yeah, she's very, very young. But then they fast forward to 2016. Mm-hmm. And this is a noteworthy time. Why is that, Pat? Uh, because as it has been said, and it was confirmed, this film is taking place between the events of Avengers, uh, st- or excuse me, Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War. Exactly. So we all knew that this was going to be a prequel. So it was a sense that it didn't really matter when this movie dropped because yeah. it was not going to affect the Phase 4 plans. However, we were all dying to see what was going to happen in the origin of the Scarlet or Scarlett Johansson's character, Black Widow. I mean, it changed like one thing. With um, Phase 4 plans, but it's a minor thing. Yeah, it's an extremely minor one. It didn't really take anything away from the movie. No. Because as we see, the Natasha Romanoff is now on the run, and we see a returning face of the MCU, one Thaddeus Ross. Yeah. Goddamn jackass. Oh, I know. Seeing him come back on the screen, it was like, really? He's not Dolores Umbridge levels of hate for me, but he's getting up there. No, William Hurt, who plays him, I mean, obviously, he just has that kind of creepy vibe to him. Yeah, he's he's got the real asshole vibe to him, too. Like, I don't hate the guy, but just the way he comes off in the movie, God, he's an asshole. Oh, he plays absolutely well. But as we see, Natasha is making her way to escape and does wind up making her way to Norway, uh-huh. which is kind of a little different jumping around. Meanwhile, we do get introduced to one Yelena Belovov, uh-huh. who is played by Florence Pugh. God, so good in this movie. My God, man. She absolutely crushed it. Bring her back, please. Oh, yes. And we do see her on a mission. And this was kind of the one flaw that I will have with this movie a little sure. bit. Sure. That we do the time jump. I mean, obviously, Natasha has made her break away. Yep. We do see Elena is now on her first mission. Uh-huh. And it just seemed very, very quick about how she's been working her way up the Black Widow ranks, so sure. to speak. Sure, And then her target she's going after hits her with this red mist. And immediately, she's now off the mind control. Uh-huh. I thought they should have done a mission prior to that you could see that she was under the control. So you had more of an idea what was going on Yeah, because it just seemed like very, very quickly she was okay. was a bad agent and now all of a sudden she's good. And like now she has everything going for like, you know, her free will. I like it's, it's a minor plot point, but I was just like, okay, this is just really kind of out of nowhere. The, the added mission, I felt like, would have just been like, why the fuck are we here? Just like a quick one. Like, as you see, like, Natasha is running away. Yeah. And from from uh, Thaddeus Ross. Like, you could do, like, a flashpoint where you yeah. see Nat- Elena's now doing some work. I, I, I don't think it was necessarily needed, though, just because you look at what happens later on in the movie when they run into other folks from that program and just how, like lockstep they are in with that whole organization. Yes, because Yelena now finds a way to get the uh, antidote that we now know is off to free the Black Widows mm-hmm. to Natasha, which I thought was kind of interesting, too, of how she was able to track her down. But then again, she's an Avenger. It, exactly. She's an Avenger. And she ain't exactly hiding anymore. Well, well she is. She is. She is, but not she, as well as she thinks. She is, but then you have to remember Yelena is a secret spy, and obviously there's ways to track down people. Well, so, so she was trained in a lot of the same ways Natasha was, so she thinks in a lot of the same ways. Right. So that being said, Natasha is tracked down in Norway because when she gets the package, she also has another visitor looking for her. Well, well, she, and she's got to go back into town because she's living off the grid. She's living in a trailer with a, what was it, a gasoline? Yeah. Uh, gasoline. Gasoline uh, generator. Ge- generator. The generator. And what did he say? Like, the, oh, the generator, <coughs> excuse me, should be good for like a month. Goes out in like a night. 
Yes. And so that forces her to drive. How long did he say? It was like a half hour? It was a half hour. A half hour drive back into town to get more gas. And as she's crossing the bridge, uh, she gets paid a visit. Yes. And we get introduced to the character of Taskmaster. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know the Taskmaster from the comics who has photographic memories and can mimic anybody's fighting style. But in a couple of the animated series, I know he was one of the side villains in the PS4 Spider-Man video game. Real pain in the ass, that guy. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's he's a very interesting character. I, I know through the recent runs he's had, uh, definitely have kind of taken some very unique takes with his powers, which I, <laughs> oh, think, yeah. are, which I think are very cool. Like which when is he, fine. When he was train, training the young uh, Avengers, mm. not the ones that we know are going to be coming to the MCU, but the Avengers Academy. That right. was a very cool storyline, too, because essentially he is a hired mercenary, but he's also one that basically will quit when he wants to. He, he kind of has that kind of vibe to him. But we do see that he does have his assignment to go after Natasha. It's a great action sequence, and she winds up escaping him. And this is where she's now making her way to go find Elena, because uh-huh. now she has a way to track her down, too. Well, and she knows Elena sent it, because in the middle of the package that was sent to her is is what we uh, a photo booth reel we saw from the beginning of the movie when they were kids in mm-hmm. Ohio. And included in the middle of that was that photo reel. Yes. So now she's on her way to meet up with Yelena. They do meet back in Budapest. Or is it Budapest? Yeah. <laughs> it's the debate that's going on. And I got to say, between Pew and Johansson, the chemistry there, you would really think they're sisters. Oh, yeah. And, and we got a glimpse of this. I think it was in the first trailer where it was the sequence where she goes into the room and she's hunting her down, and they like do the same movements at the same time, yep. disarm each other, but they're rearming themselves. They had they had great chemistry. Oh, absolutely, and they're playing off each other very well, like big sister, little sister. Oh, God, yeah, and, and being a sibling, you know, they're doing a lot of the things siblings do. Oh, absolutely, yeah, I, I said the same thing, too. Like, I was like, okay, I can definitely catch this vibe. And we do get the update of Yelena is explaining to her what's going on, and Natasha's like, "Do you do you do realize I'm a wanted fugitive?" And she's like, <laughs> "Like an, an, an internationally wanted fugitive." Yeah, and she's like, "Well, you have Avenger friends. Like, where's the guy in the suit?" And she's like, "It doesn't work that way right now." And she even goes, "Oh, where's Tony? Call Tony." Yeah, we're not quite speaking these days. Yeah, so this is kind of a cool play on. And during their time of reconnecting, they are attacked by a bunch of Black Widows. Mm-hmm. So that's another cool fight scene. They're doing their escape, and we do find out a little bit more of their plan because Natasha is saying we have to take out Drakoff, mm-hmm. and we have to take down the Red Room. Right, because Natasha thinks Drakoff is dead. But, yes. But Yelena's like, you sure about that? Yes. Be positive? Because we finally find out what the red in Natasha's letters. Ledger. Or ledger is. Yeah. And that is what, Pat? Uh, she killed Drakeoff. She to, to get. She made a deal with Shield so that she could get out of the Red Room Black Widow program and, and defect to Shield. But in order to do so, strings attached. You know, not as easy as hop, skipping a jump. Uh, she had to take off, take out Drakeoff. Yes, but unfortunately, at the same time, she wound up taking out Drakeoff's daughter. Yeah, and she and, and she forgot rule number one of comics. Unless you find a body, they ain't. Dead. Yes. Because what is it? She dropped a bill. She blew up the building and she was like, oh, yeah, no, the building dropped out. I'm like, there was no need to check for the body. I'm like, dude, 
You, you forgot rule number one of comics. Yes. If there ain't no body, they ain't dead. And we get the story about how Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, helped her. Yep. There was 10 days they were hiding out inside of... A uh, 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 storm... Or no, uh, air duct. Yeah, in an air duct. Like it's, it's a, damn. It was a wild story, but we do finally get the payoff of what happened in, in Budapest. And we even see what they did to pass the time in like tic-tac-toe. Yeah. So it was a really interesting play that they wanted to do. And obviously that's been a big question mark of behind Black Widow's character throughout the years. So it was very cool to see how it gets played off. And they say, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to need help. And they have to go track down the Red Guardian, who's in the Gulag. Mm-hmm. So now we're going all the way across the world. Yep. And this is kind of where David Harbour's character really elevated the movie, I thought. Uh-huh. Because he was very serious and very stoic at the beginning when they're running for, in Ohio. Oh, sure. But now we get to where he's in jail. And now he's completely tattooed up. Well, so he's essentially like Yoda in Star Wars. We're like super serious, super legit dude. Mm. Gets put in, a, gets locked up essentially for 20 some odd years, which this is about 20 some odd years. And he goes fucking nuts. Yeah, he goes absolutely crazy because what we find out is after he gets to Cuba, he's imprisoned. Yep. So that was his big thank you for helping out Drakoff. And we do hear the stories of what he's telling the prisoners as he's trying to arm wrestle everybody and saying how he defeated Captain America. Yeah. And somebody's questioning, like, well, how can you do that if he was still under ice? And it's just a very funny scene. Very yeah, cool. reasons. Yeah, very cool to do. And as he winds up getting called that he has mail, he does get the tip off that he's going to get sprung. Mm-hmm. And we do see a very cool action sequence. Albeit, though, I thought this went on him for a little too long. Yeah, just a couple minutes. They drug it out a little bit about escaping him from the gulag because yeah. at one point Natasha has to jump off the plane and land there and you yeah. see the big moment like we see in the trailers when she jumps yep. and lands and she's doing her superhero poses which I love. <laughs> I freaking love how Yelena calls her oh, out on that. She's like, that's totally stupid. Yeah, she's like, do you know you do a pause? Or a pose, a pose every time? Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't. And she's like, oh, yes, you do. And she did the pose where she flips her hair back. And she's yeah. like, yeah, you do this all the time. Yeah. And then sure enough, she, she winds up doing it. It's a completely hysterical moment. And we do see the big escape that Alexei is now freed. And he's now thinking, well, family is back together. And they're like, no. No. We need to find out the location of the Red Room. He's like, I don't know. But I do know somebody that probably will. Mm-hmm. And we get a little more background on Melina's character, who was a scientist working in the Red Room. And so they wind up going to her farm, and the family is brought back together. And it's kind of an interesting play because they keep saying they're a family, but yet they were never. No, they were, they're not actually blood-related. They were just paired together for the purposes of the mission. You know, we, listen, we need a father. We need a mother. We need a couple of kids. Oh, hey, they're all available. Yeah. No. It was absolutely brilliant how they pulled this off. But they and, still, but they still, and, and it was cool to see how they could fall back into those familial ties, despite the fact that they hadn't seen each other in, like, God knows how many years. Exactly. And we do see just how much Elena's version of events differ from Natasha's. And we do get the background story that Natasha's mother was killed by Drakov. And we see how Elena is now sitting there and everything that she was established to be true was a false. Until like the very cool moment where Alexei really kind of steps his game up a little bit. Mm Because he knows that. He's basically been like Loki in a sense that he's failed at everything he's done. Kind of. And he realizes of how much pain that Yelena's in. And they go back to a beginning moment where Yelena, as a young daughter, is scared that she's leaving. Yeah. And they have to throw on her favorite song. Yep. Which is American Pie by Don McLean. Yep. 
And he winds up sitting there, and he's trying to talk to her and trying to do the right thing. And he, obviously, Elena is so hurt that he just very quietly starts singing that song. And it kind of remedies everything. And I thought that was such a cool moment yeah. in the movie. That as they're talking, you see Melina is also talking with Natasha. And we do see that Drakoff has been waiting for him the entire time. So there has been a plan that's been going on this entire film. That Drakoff has been a step ahead of him because once he comes out of the shadows that he has been alive and knows what Natasha is trying to do, they wind up taking, bringing them to the Red Room themselves, which they figured out, oh, you know how we've never been able to track them down on Earthpad? Because where have they been? Above air. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I completely forgot about it's, that. It's a floating headquarters, which is brilliant, too, because this is the kind of stuff you see in James Bond films. Yeah, kind of. And for being I'll a... i say there is one Bond movie. I think it's You Only Live Twice where the, the lair is in a literal volcano. Yeah. Like, when you start going into that element, that brings it back to the super spy espionage type feel, which I thought was great. I thought it was a smart twist because... For everything that Natasha has been connected with with the Avengers and Shield, nobody's been able to track it down. I thought it would have been a cool touch if the if the airship they were using would have been one of the salvaged ones from Shield, like either from one of the ones that crashed in DC or one of the other ones they didn't use. But time wise, they couldn't. No, they could have. Ninety five? No, because ninety five. Because no, I'm, oh, no, I'm talking. I'm talking in present day. Oh, in present day, if they wanted to do no, that, yeah, that pre- no, cool. present day. I'm saying I like they like oh yeah, they're in the air, and I'm like. Ooh, are they going to borrow one of the ones that maybe like salvage one of the ones that crashed from DC or, or someplace else? Yeah. yeah, because this no. time because this timeline wasn't present that that's why they couldn't. That's why I was. But I was. It would have been cool if they did do something like that, like the original one, like it was a test flight or something. Yeah, I could see something like that. But as we see, everybody is taken onto the ship, and we do see that there has been a plan placed long before they land there. Because when we see that Molina is trying to go and confront Drakeoff. Yep. We, want, we find out that that's actually Natasha, and they mm-hmm. pulled a big bait-and-switch, which I thought was brilliant because, once again, we're touching upon the secret spy espionage vibe. Well, and they're calling back to Captain America 2, mm-hmm. where she was faking being one of the World Security Council members, and she pulls out the little, you know, disguise her face thing. And was like, oh, surprise, it's me. Yes. And as we see, Drakov has been waiting for it because he knows that this has been happening. So he's like eight steps ahead of him. Oh, yes, because obviously if you're in charge of creating a super spy army, you're going to be a step ahead of everybody. And he knows everything. And he does, and he has been sitting there waiting the entire time, and he knows that they were coming to stop everything and free everybody, but he's been waiting. But they wind up getting the upper hand because Melina, now being the switch, goes in and is starting to free everybody up. Mm-hmm. from, And they're trying to find a way to get the vials of the antidote to everybody, but it's not exactly happening. No, because it's a finite amount. It's a finite amount, and especially Natasha can't do anything because she's under the control yep. of Drakov because he put in a sensory override, which that was a cool idea, I yeah, would have to admit. that's future planning. Yes, because he said, oh, you, you can't do anything against me because I your senses are blocked because of like a, it's almost like a pheromone control. I, th- I think it was like they, it was in his cologne. Yeah, it was something like that. It was that. something like that. I was like, man, I was trying to think of a Marvel villain that had that kind of control. That he just said shut down but via senses. And I just thought it was such a very unique play to do. That now Natasha is sitting there the entire time and she knows she's in trouble. And she's baiting him to attack. Mm-hmm. And that was a kind of an interesting play because Drakov gets so worked up. He does hit her. Yep. And is punching her. And then Natasha is saying, well, nice of you that you couldn't finish the job. And he's mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? She winds up breaking her own nose. Yep. 
to get away from the smell so she can attack. And thus winds up freeing everybody from the cells. And then we see that they're now making the run to break down the entire Red Room. When the rest of the Widow squad attacks, Natasha is overwhelmed. But Yelena winds up making the save and coming in with the vials of the antidote to free everybody. At this point, too, we are seeing the Taskmaster is now chasing after our heroes Mm -hmm. and gets locked away in a cell, which Natasha, after dealing with freeing everybody, does pass by. And the big reveal of the Taskmaster, too, which we have to address, because I guess this has been such a unique thing online. Mm -hmm. And, Pat, I want to get your honest take about this. We do find out that the Taskmaster is not who we know from the comics. Yep. Is actually Drakov's daughter Antonia, played by Olga Kurilenko. Now, my question to you, sir, is when you got this big reveal, what, what was your take? Oh shit! Yeah, like I, like, I, like I was like, oh shit! Like I'm literally like, obviously quietly because I was in the middle of the theater, but I'm like, oh shit! Like, and, and my girlfriend Liz Bailey goes, "What?" I'm like, "That's the daughter." Like, I was like, holy shit, like, this is a good plot twist. It was a great plot twist. Like, I saw people online losing their minds about this. Because they got their panties in a bunch that it's not the Taskmaster I know from the comics. Yeah, like, I just sat there like, okay, this is a cool twist to do with Antonio. Hi, you're not used to this at this point? Uh, I point point to Mandarin in Iron Man 3. Yeah, that we now see that Dracov had to experiment on his own daughter to make her a super soldier, which I, I, I is hate, creepy as all hell, too. I hate to break some news to people, but maybe this needs to be broken. Movie adaptations of stories are not a one-to-one adaptation. Maybe I'm just used to this from the Harry Potter movies, you know, that I'm just kind of, I'm kind of like, not, I don't want to say numb to it, but I'm used to it at this mm-hmm. point. That, like, I'm used to a lot of stuff being changed from what I've read to the film because let's face it they can't always do that because in books especially if they if they adapted the harry potter fifth book which is like 700 800 pages long the movie would be about nine hours long yeah exactly you know so you can't do that and then when it comes to adapting characters to a movie yeah you can bring them in and yeah you can do a pretty close you know uh recreation of that character in the in the movies hi i'm looking at sam jackson and nick fury Mm mm-hmm but and a lot of times I just look at it and go, okay, this is their telling of the story. This is what they want to do. This works for their story. Yeah, like I had no issue with it at no, all. I'm like, no. I go, this is a cool plot twist. I'm down for it, and it just shows how evil Drakov is to experiment on his own kid. Yeah, I was like, saying, how like, fucked up is that? So a lot of people miss that. That like, yo, this guy really cares so little that he messed up his own daughter. Yeah, because as she is taken off to fight uh, the Red Guardian which is kind of an interesting fight as well. Yeah. That's where she gets locked in the cell because Natasha is now fighting all the widows. Y- Elena is now escaping. And in fact, she even does the pose too mm-hmm. during the fight. And she's yeah. like, oh, God, I feel, oh, oh, I, oh, I, oh, I feel oh. disgusting. She now winds up having to save Natasha as they're making the run away. Natasha sees Taskmaster in the cell and frees her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm, I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to help you. But yet, it doesn't really work out that way because no. Tax, Taskmaster is programmed not to feel anything. Yep. And she winds up going to attack as the Red Room is falling down because it's now exploding. Everybody is escaping. You see Natasha is jumping to save Yelena in a parachute, but Taskmaster is doing a free fall. It's a very cool fight scene in air, too. And we see that Romanoff winds up saving Yelena, shooting her way. She goes into the fight with Taskmaster gets the helmet off, and then hits her with the antidote. And thus, everybody's freed up because the widows are freed. They do make their escape on the ground because guess what? 
Shield has been waiting for him the entire time. Mm-hmm. And Natasha says, no, you go on without me. I will take care of this. This is my fight to do. And does have that parting away because now the family has been reunited. She knows this. She knows the Red Room is no more. Drakov is dead dead because she sees the helicopter he's in is exploded. Yep. So there's no question about that. He ain't coming back. Yep. And unless, then, unless there's some kind of mumbo-jumbo uh, magic bullshit. Yes. So it is kind of a wild scenario going. And obviously, Yelena does have one of the widow antidotes with her. So she has taken that as mm-hmm. well. So now they can start freeing up all the secret agents that have now been deactivated via the Red Room. So it's kind of like they're tying up all the loose ends going on as well. And then as we see, Natasha is just waiting for S.H.I.E.L.D. to come get her because now her story is done for now. Yep. And then we find out, ironically, that she escapes two weeks later. Yeah. Which was kind of a funny thing. And she does ex- escape with the vest that Yelena gave her. Which is also the vest she wore throughout uh, Avengers uh, Infinity War. Yeah, which is a, which is cool. It was a cool little Easter egg right there because yeah. I was sitting there watching. I'm like, yeah, she wore that during the entire Avengers saga of the Infinity Saga there. The mm-hmm. two movies. Yeah. Brilliant thing to do. So it was a very cool moment to see that her story has wrapped up. And it kind of left everybody going home happy because obviously yeah. it was a great origin story that you yeah. see everything. I mean, I thought it would have been cool to kind of spend a little more time about the background of the Red Room, but nothing yeah. I was going to take away. But then we get to the post credit scene. Uh-huh. So this is where things are interesting because now we're at present time. Yep. We do see that Yelena is now standing over Natasha's gravesite. Uh-huh. And we do see that she is approached by one Contessa Valentina, mm-hmm. played by the one and only Julie Louis Dreyfus, mm-hmm. that we have now seen in Falcon and Winter Soldier recruiting some wannabe Captain America. Yeah, and like, I, and when I said earlier in the segment that this, you know, this movie coming out now did change one thing. Uh, this was the one thing that got changed. Yeah, because this was supposed to be Julie Louis Dreyfus's original first appearance, but because of the world and everything that happened. Didn't pan out that way. But you know what? In hindsight, though, it works. It worked better. Yeah. It worked better because she was so more detailed in Falcon Winter Soldier. Yeah. In dealing with U.S. agent. And it's a little more clear cut what she's trying to do. Because if, if you would have started with this, I think a lot of people who read the comics would have known what she's doing. But the folks, by and large, who know read some comics, not everything, and but their primary uh, information is from the movies. Would have been a little confused as to what she's doing, but having with the order we've got where she recruits, you know, fake Cap, and now she's recruiting uh, Elena, it goes, oh, she's up to no good. Yeah, it's definitely up to no good. And like I say, if they had just done this outright and this was the first appearance, even with seeing her on screen, mm-hmm. people would have thought Hydra. Yeah. Like that would have been the instinct that you would have had. I would have had it because I've been like, okay, what's she doing here? Because now she gives the assignment that, okay, you want to get back at the person responsible for your sister's death? Drops the dossier, and it's Clint Barton. Yep. And we do know that Yelena is slated to appear in Hawkeye. Oh, she is? For Disney+. Plus. Yes. Okay. So I, this, I did not know that. This has been what I've been able to track down, that she, okay. that she is going to be making an appearance of some sort. Also, can we say just one thing? Uh, when Before Julia Louise Dreyfus showed up, Yelena did the whistle thing that, like, it was like a little thing she had with her sister, Natasha. They're like, oh, they do it back, and, you know, each other's okay. I hope I'm not the only one who was waiting for a whistle back. Oh, I was waiting on that. One. Like she was, she did the whistle in the middle of the woods, and I sat forward in my chair, going, "Oh shit, are we about to hear a whistle back?" And we didn't, but you know. Yeah, I was, I was expecting to see it, 
And it would have been a, a kind of cool thing because I said on last week's show, too, when we did our preview, I thought that we were going to see that she was going to have a either Natasha turn around or appear magically because right. it's comics. This does happen. No, nobody stays dead. Nobody ever stays dead. Or we were going to have Julia Louis-Dreyfus come and start recruiting. Yeah. So we did get that happening, too. But I was expecting the whistle to come back, like whether yeah. it was Red Guardian or somebody. Like I was expecting something to happen. Here. Yeah. But I was all right with the ending, too, because obviously this is going to lead, in my opinion, we have Dark Avengers coming. Uh-huh. This is not going to be Thunderbolts out the gate. I'm already going to tell you right now. How we're going to go about this is going to be very simple. We're going to see in most of the Disney Plus shows, Julia Louis-Dreyfus recruiting. Yep. We're going to see that possibly in Shang-Chi. Could be. I, I will say Shang-Chi. We might see it there. Eternals, no. I, I strongly no, doubt. I'm going to no. say I'm, I strongly doubt. It's outside her realm. Right. There is a faint possibility maybe in Spider-Man and Dark and Doctor Strange. There's enough people showing up in Spider-Man, allegedly, that I'm banking on her showing up then. Right. And I think what we're going to see is Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character playing the Norman Osborn character of Dark Avengers, which if you don't know that one, it was when the heroes had a very big falling out and the world was turned over to Norman Osborn, and he created his own Avengers team. Because that works out so well. Oh, it was fantastic for a storyline purpose. But I, can, it, I can hear Willem Dafoe now, like the meme, I'm something of a blank myself. I'm something of an Avenger myself. Oh, yeah. Because can what, we get him to say that in, in, uh, no, way, in uh, no Way Home? I'd be down for it. Because let's face it. It, he's not officially in it, but like he's basically in it. Yeah, he like all but he. It's, it's the worst kept it. secret. Yeah, I don't know. Like I'll tell you what, it'd be really cool to see him in the Iron Patriot suit. Ooh, because Norman Osborn creates his own perverse team of Avengers, and they're all absolutely pieces of shit. Basically, yeah. There's like one or two that's like okay, but everybody else is really not redeeming. But they're all mirror images of who you see on the Avengers roster. And how that story ends is wild, too. But that's also, like I said, at one point, Norman Osborn is the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Read comics, folks. It will explain the world to you. But I digress. This movie, though, Pad, final thoughts on it. Uh, I thought it was a good movie. You know, you know, it was worth the wait, I would say. And I definitely oh, enjoyed it. Oh, I definitely it. think so, too. I, and I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, for me, what was really good about this is Florence Pugh, Absolutely was amazing as Elaine. Yo, her comedic timing was incredible. Yeah, she delivered a completely fresh take on the character, and especially for if you've only read certain comics that have had Elena in it, you definitely got more depth to her. You definitely got a great backstory. It was something that definitely stood out, and you definitely want to see more of this character, which I'll be honest, I mean, after seeing her in the comics, I wasn't really sold on. Like she's sure she's kind of taken some different turns since the initial run of the Itsy Bitsy Spider uh, story, right? But where she is going to be making an appearance, and I guarantee you, if she's not back soon, she will be back very, very soon in the comics. That it's going to be interesting to see how her story plays out. I also thought David Harbor as the Red Guardian was a good balance for the yeah for the movie. I thought his comedic timing was very good and nothing felt forced too. No. Like that was the one thing. You know you hear me complain all the time on the show that I think Marvel has a cookie cutter formula that they force a lot of humor in that when characters aren't funny. They balanced it out very very well for this film. That I thought everybody was making jokes made sense at the right time. There wasn't anything too over the top. It wasn't anything too campy. 
they nailed everything spot on. So I completely love that aspect. Scarlett Johansson definitely wanted to make sure that this was going to be her final appearance as Natasha. And, it, and it's going to be. She did an interview, I believe, with uh, Brandon Davis at comicbook.com where she's like, yeah, this is going to be it. I imagine. I never say never. But, oh, yeah. But, for now, it's her last yeah. uh, appearance. I Who knows? Five years down the road, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But she wanted to make sure her legacy was sealed up. Yeah, what did she? What did she say? And I'm paraphrasing. She said, "You know, you always want to leave a party when it's at its peak and it, and and it's really going. That like you don't want to overstay your welcome." Exactly, and especially for what she means to the MCU. Black Widow has definitely elevated her status, and oh, Scarlet God, yeah. and Scarlet is a big reason why. So to see this movie definitely be the swan song it needed to. I absolutely loved it, and I thought that this was one of the better MCU films I've seen in a very, very long oh, yeah. time. I mean, there's only a couple things I didn't really care for too much, and like I've already touched upon it. I thought they could have done a little more backstory about the Red Room, per se, and Yelena b- being bad for a little bit longer instead of just magically turned out the beginning. But, you know, like I said, it's it's minor points that I didn't like. I thought the Gulag fight scene was brought on way too long. I thought they could have summed that up better. Mm-hmm. And even when they were doing the the final battle in the Red Room, I thought they drug it out a little bit long. But I'm not mad about it because it didn't hurt the story in the long run. The story was we finally got the backstory of the Black Widow. We got her basically origin brought to present, and we do see why she is acting the way she does. I thought they ended it very well. I thought her the final chapter on Natasha Romanoff was done very, very well. And like I say, this is definitely a film that you need to go check out at the theaters if you get the chance. If you want to watch it at home, by all means, but this is one that you definitely want to see in the theaters and I think is going to have a good impression for the rest of the MCU moving forward in its next phase. But we gave you our takes. Now we want to hear yours. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Black Widow? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey there. I'm Chris from the Geek P Podcast here with my two co-hosts, Trent. What up? And Brandon. Yo, yo. Here at the Geek Peak, we strive to provide you the best content from all across the pop culture multiverse. Think of us as your content concierge, seeking out all the best movies, TV, games, and music to save your valuable time. We have a different adult beverage every week, and we like to keep things light and fresh, so come hang out with us. So check us out on all your favorite podcasting platforms. That's Geek Peak. Like a mountain! And check out our site at geekpeakpod.com. Coming back for another segment here on the ODPH podcast, and one of our favorite shows returned to the CW. Uh huh. And it's not a Marvel show; it's a DC show. I say Marvel was ended up on CW. That'd be a wild crossover. I'm telling you, with the multiverse of madness, anything is possible. It's true. But I digress. One of our favorite shows here on the ODPH panel has returned, and that is the one and only Superman and Lois. Mm-hmm. Damn it, this show is amazing. I mean, there's so much good that we can talk about. And it's had a little hiatus in their schedule. And I know like the next couple of weeks is going to be on and off because of how they have everything booked right now. But when we got it, we got it, and we definitely got to talk about it. So we are going to be talking about Episode 12 through the Valley of Death. So if you haven't seen the episode yet, we're going to give you fair warning. You can pause right here and then just watch the episode and jump back in or just listen to our takes as we're talking. But we give you that spoiler warning every time because when I say 3, 2, 1, I mean 3, 2, 1, pad. 
What did you think? I thought it was a really good episode and a very strong return. Uh, liked what I saw and can't wait to go from here. Yeah, I definitely thought that this show really came back in a strong way. We're tying up a lot of loose ends because as we had our quote, I don't want to say cliffhanger, but let's be honest, kind of was. It's a cliffhanger. I mean, we've had the revelation that Morgan Edge, played by Adam Rayner, is actually Ty Rowe, who is Superman's half-brother mm-hmm. from Krypton. Yep. And it's a weird scenario, and we're seeing that his end game is he wants to take over Earth, which we've seen many times before. But this is the first time that we've really seen Superman taken to a different place and really broken. I mean, Tyler Hoechlin, who has been playing Clark Kent, has done an absolute stand-up job. Like he is in that talk for best Superman of all time. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, he's in the talk. I mean, I'm not saying he's number one yet, but he is in that conversation, and yes. I think that's a very honest statement. So as we see that he was taken away and he's getting basically tortured into converting to whatever Edge is saying, mm-hmm. we do see that back in Smallville, or actually in Metropolis, rather, that a message from Smallville has came to a friend of the show that we have seen introduced in a very, very nice reveal. And that is one John Henry Irons, who's played by Wally Parks. Mm-hmm. And we do see that he has been contacted by Lois Lane, played by Elizabeth Hulk. And said, hey, Superman has been captured. He's getting brainwashed. We need your help. Yeah. And his mission the entire time is from an alternate timeline where he's came. Fuck Superman up. Yeah. Where he basically is on the mission of like, I need to kill Superman one way or another. And now, hey, guess what? I've been right the entire time. He's going to kill everybody. So here I come to save the day. And he makes his way to Smallville. And you see the rest of the family is dealing with everything. I mean, obviously his uh, sons, Jonathan Kent and Jordan Kent, played by Jordan Elsass and Alex Gerfin definitely are trying to say, what can we do to save our dad? And obviously Jordan being the one with powers so far mm-hmm. is trying to do everything he can. He's trying to test out his super hearing, which I almost want to say when he tried using his powers last time against edge, what happened, Pad? It didn't end well. No, no, he definitely got very exposed for being very, very green about this. And I don't mean kryptonite. I mean, he is just very unsure about how to use his powers. Meanwhile, you have Edge, a.k.a. Tyro, who basically is he's a seasoned vet. He's a seasoned vet and just was sitting there like, is this all you got? And as he's sitting there torturing Clark in his own desert fortress of solitude, uh-huh. which is so weird, but it's, yeah. it's a very cool thing to do. Yeah, We do get a name drop, and I definitely got to give a shout-out to our guy, Dre Driven, who picked up on this as well. And we do see that during the quote-unquote brainwashing from yeah. Zeta Rowe, yep. who is Tyro's father, or Tyro's father, we do hear the name of a very classic Superman character. Zod. Yes. So they are basically trying to possess the body of Superman with the spirit of Zod. What could go wrong? Ah, uh, a lot of things, and I'm here for it because this was a complete surprise. Yeah. And to see that they are now following in the realm of Zod is always a good thing because he's a classic Superman villain. Oh, God, yeah. And as we see, they're brainwashing him. We're seeing now that John Henry Irons has now made his way to Smallville where he meets up with Lois and General Sam Lane, played by Dylan Walsh. And they're basically coming to terms of, okay, this is not going to be a rescue mission. No. This is going to be a termination mission. And Lois obviously is like, whoa, 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 not happening. Back the hell up. Yeah, you're not killing him. 
And John Henry Irons is like, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Yeah. And General Lane has always been suspicious of Superman. And he's kind of like, well, he might have a point to hear. So we might have to go through with it. I don't care. He's my son-in-law. <laughs> we got to do what we got to do. And this is obviously leading to some tension between them. We do get another flashback to the boys trying to track down Superman. And they do. Yeah. Which is kind of wild that Jordan has enhanced his super hearing to that level. Well, he even says in the episode, like, listen, I finally got a handle on this enough to where I'm not getting headaches every day. Yes. So at this stage, he does get picked up for connecting with Clark. And he's trying to save him. And even uh, Edge is telling him, listen, if you even try sending help, you won't recognize him when you find him. To which the boys go running to find Lois to explain what's going on. And now we have the little side story going on with Kyle Cushing and his family. Yeah. And obviously we know that Kyle was one of the biggest Morgan Edge supporters in town. Not one of He was the biggest. Yes. And he was one that was brainwashed by him as well. So Eric Valdez has got a lot on his plate to act with. And I thought he did a really good job about this too. Because he is he's trying to win back the town that he's lost. And this is small town America, which... Listen, everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody, and everybody knows everybody's business. This did not exactly get fall by the wayside. No. Everybody knows what happened, and the only person, ironically, that's defending him is Lois. Yeah. Who, well, she lives this life, and she understands, hey, this is superhero stuff. It's reasons. So as he's catching up with her, and Lois is flipping it around to get as much information as she can, she does find out one little clue pad. She does find out that it's a brainwashing, yes, but it's not a complete takeover. Nope. So now this is a big factor, wouldn't you say? Yeah, uh, yeah, just a bit. So as she gets this information, she runs it to General Lane and everybody. And when they meet up with the boys too, everybody kind of gets their collective thinking caps on and says, "Okay, how can we save Superman?" Put some heads together. Yeah, which is a complete smart move to do. And then we see that we get a visit from an old friend too. Yeah. And who is that old friend? One John Diggle. Yes, who is dropping off tech from Argus. Yeah, so when the when the DOD put in a request for some help specifically regarding the Superman, they knew to call Argus. So Lila dispatched uh, John there because, oh, well, Lila's the head of Argus. She's a little busy. Yes. Uh, so John was in Smallville. So he was in Smallville. Still, Sand, minus a ring. Still no ring. Still mad about that. We've now seen him on how many shows, Pad? Uh, two. And he has no ring. Correct. Well, I mean, he's got a ring, just not the ring we're looking for. Exactly. We are looking for that the one ring that rules them all, and that thing is green because he needs to be John Stewart already. I digress. But we do find out that he has been lied to by General Lane for yeah. the tech he's bringing, yeah. so that's not bringing to Lane wasn't exactly on the up and up. No, he definitely wasn't, and there's a little tension between him and Diggle because Diggle is like, I have fought beside Superman. I know he's the most noblest man on the planet. So he invoked the name of Oliver. Yeah, he dropped Oliver. Ooh. I was like, well, that was a name drop. Oh, exactly. It's like Arrow is gone, but never forgotten. And we definitely had a moment there because he definitely gets a little fired up about everything going on. And we do see that Lois is trying to plead with John Irons too at this point too. Because now as the boys are coming there and they're trying to explain everything going on, she is saying, listen, when you go out there, you can't kill him. You cannot kill Clark. Yeah. And she's pleading from somebody that is, that's her husband. That's her world. Yeah, she finally lets out the secret. Yeah, and she drops that to, to John Irons, who definitely was no-selling it, if we can use the wrestling term for a mm -hmm. while. He was not hearing any of it. He's like, listen, it's a job. I got to do what I got to do. All right, next on. But then it's that talk with Jonathan, 
that really sells everything home. And and I will say this. This was a very cool scene. And you know my opinion. I think Jordan Elsass has been carrying the show a lot, too, when he's in. Uh-huh. That he gets in there and he starts talking to John Irons. And he is basically saying, hey, I saw your RV headquarters. Yeah. I saw what happened. I get it. But that's not the same person you're fighting. Right. It's a difference. And he is explaining. And you know what? It's smart to see that the kid is connected because he has all this information. And I'm not doubting him. If he doesn't get any powers, that John doesn't train him at some point. I'm going to throw that out to the world right now. Right. But he does have that conversation with him. And then they start breaking down everything going on. And you do see that John Irons is kind of warming up a little bit. Like, he's not fully there. He's coming around, though. He's coming around. And then, basically, Diggle is hearing all this nonsense. And he's like, listen, I left the superhero business. I'm out. But, ironically, you've been dropping off tech to everybody in town. That's a job. It's a job. But still, you know, the plot thickens there, so to speak. Stay tuned. Dun, dun, dun. But we see Diggle leaves, and it's kind of like a lackluster appearance, too. Yeah. Like I like I say, I was so amped up to see him on the show, and then I was like, okay, we're already out. And we're not really kind of touch upon why he left Star City, but he's just making the rounds. Never mad to see him on screen, but next time we do, he's got to have that ring on. Enough said. But as we see, the plan is laid out. The General Lane finds the base in the desert. He sends John Irons there. And Irons is there in full steel armor, mm-hmm. which is a very, very cool scene. Albeit, though, it kind of took a little bit to get used to because, Pat, who did you think when you saw him first? I, You saw Master, Master Chief. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he looked like a uh, uh, concept art for Master Chief. Yeah, he definitely did. So it was like, okay, well, we're going to be playing Halo here. Not mad, but I'm okay. Like I was like, let's see what happens, and we'll go from here. And then as we see, Superman does show up and is attacking, and you see that he's fully possessed at this stage, we think. Yeah. And we do see that kind of vicious side to Superman that we only see in great video games such as Injustice. Yeah, it's okay. You bite your tongue there. And as we see, the battle is going back and forth. They're going everywhere between space and on the other side of the world, too. So it's going all over the, the place. But the entire time, too, we do see that all the talking from the Kent family is now working. Yeah. On John Irons because he's pleading his case, and you could hear Lois screaming in there, like, "Listen, fight the mind control. You can fight it. You can fight it." And John is sitting there trying to talk to him at one point, and it even looks like when the upper hand is happening, and he has that red solar missile, which everybody's talking about too. Yeah, which is kind of scary. He's carrying that much firepower on him. Yup. Just putting that out there in the world that we see that Irons is finally connecting with him. And even though he's sitting there screaming, you can hear Lois is talking to Clark, too. He can hear it. And he finally has that, like, moment where he just finally relinquishes back everything. It's kind of a weird scenario, too. Yeah. Because, like, you just see that Irons has been talking and talking and talking. And they've been having action, too. Like, he's been hitting him with that hammer as well when he can. Yeah. But we finally see that Clark comes, too, that he's freed of the possession of Zod. And we do see that his brother shows up looking for vengeance. And he has something in his hand, Pad. What does he have? He has the Eradicator. Oh, yeah, that's right. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. That there's yeah, there's so much moving parts going on with this, yeah. too. Because they're jumping around. You've seen that everybody's talking to uh, Clark via the communication system inside Iron the Suit. radio. Yeah, which is it's weird, but hey, it works. Super like, hearing. He can hear. Yeah, exactly. So now... We see Edge is trying to fly to the sky with it, and we do see that Steel and Superman are flying after him. Yeah. 
And then we do see that he's about ready to set it off. Because yeah, uh, they're going up in the, into the upper atmosphere, and, and Steel goes, stay back, I got this. Because Steel knows what will happen if he's in the blast radius. Yes. And then what does he do, Pad? Shoots, uh, well, he locks on, shoots him with the, sol- the red solar missile, uh, and he falls all the way back down to Earth. Yep. And then everybody goes home happy. We do see that Edge is now locked up in a kryptonite cage. Yep. So to speak, I think, and I also think they're looking for his assistant because it's mentioned by uh, General Lane. Uh, I forget her name, but they're looking for her. And, and he goes, between Superman and Steel, I give her half a week. Yeah, and it's a very cool way to tie that loose end up per se. But as we go to the end of the show, I mean, obviously the Kents have their heartfelt reunion. Irons is now a complete ally of Superman, so. Yep. It's cool to see that Steel is now part of Superman's super team that I guess is getting formed in Smallville. Hey, it's it's TV. Let it ride. Comics. But we do get that quick flashback of Edge in the jail. Yep. And we do hear a voice. Yep. And who's that voice, Pad? Uh, Zod. So Zod is not gone completely. Yeah, like they, like they claimed he was. No. And that's where we kind of have that cliffhanger ending for next week. Which the teaser for it was kind of interesting because it's basically Clark admitting that... He, he got a taste of power and he liked it. Yeah, that he has basically said, all power, no responsibility, sign me up. But then again, that always leads to no good. Uh-huh. But overall, though, I would say it was a great return. No, yeah, super strong, I would say. Yeah, I definitely would have to say so, too. I mean, obviously, they tied up the loose ends, per se, with Morgan Edge, a.k.a. Talro. Mm-hmm. I would imagine they're still going to have a couple more episodes with him involved as the big yeah. bad for the season, and yeah. that makes sense. I'm yeah. not mad about that. But for returning after the time off, I mean, they didn't lose a beat and obviously are deep diving more into the Superman mythos, which I like, and, I'm, and I think that this show definitely plays off it as well. Yeah. It's tough to do Superman on network TV. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we have to remember with this show. Yeah. But they're pulling it off really, really well. That yeah. we haven't even had John Cryer as Lex Luthor. I no. imagine he's coming at some point. Oh, you have to figure. I gotta imagine. They're not they're not even delving really deep into like the, the roster of villains. No, I mean obviously like, and I'm not just talking main ones, I'm talking like kind of like side ones that are still well known. Well, that's one thing you're gonna have to worry about with this show, that I mean there's only so much of a rogues gallery that Superman has. Let's face it, he does not have a very wide one. No. He has good ones though. Brainiac hasn't shown up yet. Oh, yeah. Doomsday hasn't shown up yet. Yeah. Mitzelplik is due. Doomsday, Doomsday's hard to do on TV. Doomsday will be really hard to do on TV. They, but they, they tried it on on Smallville, and it was okay. But it's it's real. Mitzelplik would be really good to do. Yeah, well, I think we could see him because, I mean, obviously he's been on Supergirl before. Yeah. But I think for Doomsday, they could pull it off because we have seen King Shark. Yeah. On um, Metallo would be good. Yeah, on Flash. Yeah, I mean, Metallo would be good. I mean, there's a lot of areas they can go with that. In fact, I don't doubt Kyle becomes Metallo at some point. Mm. Just giving a little foreshadowing. I mean, his story... I would, it kind of looks like him from the cartoon, too. A, a little bit. Yeah. That's that's one thing I'm starting to get the vibes from, because he's so angry with the town, and the town's angry with him. But like I say, I don't doubt him becoming a supervillain by the end of this, though. Probably. That I think you're, you're just waiting for him to snap and go completely crazy. And he's going to do that because the town has turned against him so much. And they're not going to forgive him anytime soon. No, definitely not. So, like I said, to add him to the rogues gallery, I think it could be anything. And just to see how they're going to play off the mythos now. I mean, obviously, we gave a bunch of different characters they can bring back for Season 2. Because we do know Season 2 is coming. Yep. So, definitely excited about that. And for how we returned here, with only a couple more episodes left in Season 1, they ended on a very strong foot. So, definitely excited to see the direction they're going in. 
and definitely give us your thoughts on this episode because I think a lot of the ODPH Society is watching it. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thought about the latest Superman and Lois episode? Let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got for those one-shots? Got a couple things to talk about. The first one is something that I admit never gave thought to, never considered might happen, and now that it might happen i'm going i'm not sure how i feel about this hmm. uh so it's in specific regards to final fantasy and one of the most popular uh games of all time no not final fantasy 7 remake uh no this is for a possible third game in the final fantasy 10 storyline uh of course final fantasy 10 the story of titus uh yuna uh, Waka and a whole bunch of others. Uh, the first final fantasy game i ever played uh listen i know it might be egregious but I didn't own a PS1, so I could never play any of those original ones. First PlayStation I owned was a PS2, so Final Fantasy X. Mm. Uh, but according to an article from IGN.com, uh, reads, uh, quote, As the first mainline entry in the Final Fantasy series to get a sequel, it never seemed out of the realms of possibility that a third game in the Final Fantasy X storyline would eventually get made. It seems that now, that's now one step closer to happening after Tetsuya Nomura revealed that a story for the potential sequel has been written, but it likely won't uh, become a full game for a long time yet. The comments, comments were made in an interview between Nomura, Final Fantasy X director Motumo Toriyama, and Japanese gaming magazine Famitsu, uh, and were translated by RPG site. Uh, Nomura said that, quote, if we were, if we are, are to make 10-3. We somehow uh, have a synopsis written by Final Fantasy X writer uh, Kashugi Nojima, and that it's uh, sleeping right now, but that the but the plot itself does exist, close quote. Toriyama uh, similarly expressed interest in returning to the world of Spira, but outlined the challenges that could impede the progress of any development on a sequel. He stated, uh, quote, the probability is not zero, but that we are not in a phase where we can talk about it unless we have finished producing Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, close quote. So... I'm a little surprised by this because Final Fantasy X is one of my favorite games I've ever played. Admittedly, never finished it because some portions are harder than fucking hell. Yeah, there was legitimately there was one boss I could not beat for ten years. Like that's not a joke. And I had this and I had this Brady game strategy guide. Uh, so Final Fantasy X is one of my favorite games of all time, and I know people enjoy Final Fantasy X two. Uh, that's dash two, not T O O. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not sure how I feel about a third one. And let's face it. I don't got to figure out how I feel about it because it likely won't come out for any time soon. No more is notoriously slow at making games. Uh, he, he took 13 years to make kingdom hearts three. Uh, he took 13 years to make, or something like that to make final fantasy versus 13. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Final fantasy 15. He, he literally had a game that started out called final fantasy versus 13 took so long that they're like, they, they took him off the project, put somebody else in there, and renamed it Final Fantasy XV. Mm-hmm. Great game, by the way. Uh, although you can easily see where the directors changed hand because it goes from really vast open world to real linear story. 
and then he's also in charge of the Final Fantasy VII project, so which is taking a long time, understandably so, to come out. So if we see a Final Fantasy X three, it won't be for a while, and we'll see how it goes. I'll, I might check it out. Yeah, definitely intriguing about this. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the, in some movie news, uh, we learned that the next Star Trek movie will be directed by the guy who directed WandaVision. Uh, oh, and that's okay. Matt Shackman. Uh, so the article from IGN reads, uh, WandaVision director Matt Shackman has been uh, tapped to direct the next installment in Paramount and Bad Robots Star Trek film series. The news came comes by way of Deadline, which reports that Shackman's uh, Star Trek movie is being fast-tracked with production set to begin next spring. Uh, this is especially surprising news as Star Trek IV was reportedly canceled as of 2019, but it seems Shackman's run on WandaVision inspired new interest in the Star Trek film franchise. The script is currently untitled Star Trek movie, will be uh, written by Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Beer, and Geneva Robert Robertson uh, Dowrit. Uh, previously, uh, it was reported that Legion creator Noah Hawley was set to write the, and direct the next Star Trek sequel. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Uh, before that, the Revenant writer Mark Smith was set to write the script, write a script for the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie that. Ha- I guess isn't happening anymore. That sucks. Yeah, it is what it is. But looks like we're going to be getting the next uh, Bad Robot Star Trek film, which I'm all right with. I'm okay with it as well. I mean, I do like the first two. Yeah, the remakes. Yeah. The, the the last one, I was kind of like, man, it's, it's all right. A, yeah, it, it's not bad. It's okay. I mean, yeah. the, I haven't been able to listen to the Beastie Boys in a while after that. But <laughs> but this one, I mean, I'm kind of more puzzled about. Like, yeah. I mean, WandaVision is WandaVision, but would that be enough to really kickstart the franchise? I mean, it's a hey, more power to him. I'm not trying to hate on it, but I'm just like, yeah. I'm, I'm more surprised by this than anything. Yeah. Uh, and then switching over to some Witcher news because oh, taking place over the weekend was WitcherCon, uh, arguably one of the greatest cons of all time, in my personal opinion. Uh, but there was, it was a con for, if you well couldn't guess, all things Witcher related. The, uh, the books, the movie, the game. Uh, we did get some game news, surprisingly, since there hasn't been a new, well, there's a mobile game coming, but I don't count that. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a mainline Witcher game since Christ 2015, uh, when it came out on, uh, PS4, PC and Xbox one, uh, you know, but there was a, bit a surprising update because, uh, it's getting a next gen upgrade, understandably. So PlayStation four, uh, Xbox one, whatever it's called can play damn near any, everything that the previous consoles can. Mm. And the PlayStation five can play every PS4 game with the exception of like, Five or six, and it and I won't even tell you the games because honestly, I read the list and I'm like, I've never heard of any of these, mm-hmm. so it's they're minor. Uh, but the article reads uh, from IGN: uh, the upcoming next gen upgrade for Witcher Three Wild Hunt will include some extra free content inspired by The Witcher on Netflix, according to CD Projekt Red. During a panel at the digital event, uh, developers Philip Weber uh, and Bl- and I've never been able to say this name because uh, it's the author's name. Uh, Blood, or no, it's not the author's name. It's a guy for CD Projekt Red. Apologies. Uh, and Blaj uh, Agustinyak, uh, it's a f- very foreign name. Apologies if I butchered it. Uh, revealed that the extra content would come included with the next gen upgrades, which are currently planned for release later this year. Though they did not specify what the extra items would be, they suggested it would be part of a tie in with the Netflix series that might include the ability to wear armor inspired by Geralt's armor in the show. Uh, so my guess is you'll get 
because I know in the in if you buy the oh god what is it the it's not the complete edition but it's game oh it's game of the year edition okay uh, game of the year edition which is a steal uh, you get the full game the two DLCs that came with it plus some cosmetic looks for uh, for some of the characters there that you can change my guess is it'll include like when you can cycle the changes of those characters you'll be able to cycle the changes of how Geralt looks, and he'll be able to look how he does in the Netflix show. Oh, that's cool. My guess also would uh, be that we might see some tie-ins and some missions based off of the series in the game, which would be really cool. Yeah, I think it would be a cool thing for the fan base. Like, I have not gotten into it as much as you have, sure. obviously, but it's always something that intrigues me about that, yeah. because especially to get that franchise its own con. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not anything that's easy to do for, like, a specific video game or book series. Yeah. To really have a con, like you think when we talk cons, we talk real big franchises like Star Wars or uh-huh. Star Trek and, and such in vain. But to see this actually go off, I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, I know this is right up your alley, too. Oh, absolutely. Gosh darn lootly. Uh, next up, we got some information uh, regarding uh, Season 2 of Witcher. It is dropping on December 19th, I believe. Okay. Uh, December 19th of this year. Got some cool looks behind the scenes, and they even dropped a little bit of a trailer. So I'm super excited for that. We even got the titles of the episodes uh, that are dropping. Uh, there's It's an eight-episode second season. Uh, they plus uh, So they dropped the titles plus the title card logos. But they only revealed seven titles, which leads me to believe that eighth title might have something a little spoilery in it. Mm. Uh, but the titles that they gave are uh, A Grain of Truth, Care Mourn, What is Lost, Redanian Intelligence, Turn Your Back, Dear Friend, Voleth Mare, and then, well, Top Secret. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very, they, very interesting. Yeah. I don't know what they could go in with an idea for that, but we'll have to wait and see about that. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have more Witcher news, uh, because there is, of course, the anime prequel that is taking place uh, on Netflix that is coming out. Uh, we got our trailer for it, and a uh, release date. It is coming out on August 23rd, so okay. super excited for that. Uh, cannot wait for all things Witcher, because... I just, it's just such a, it's such a good game. You know, I, I bought the, I was at a point where I was like, I need a new game. I went down to our local GameStop and looking for something and I'd heard about it and I was like, Oh, I'll give this a check out. I got it for like 11 bucks or something because it was pre-owned. Got it for like 11 bucks game of the year edition put in probably like 50 to a hundred hours into that game. Something absurd. Uh, it's a lot of fun and, and the books are good and the series is just as good. So I can't wait for more Witcher. Yeah, I definitely got to try giving the show another run. Like it's, season season one is a bit of a is a bit different just because it's based off of the first book in the series and which is a sh- bunch of short stories. Like it's got an overarching plot, but like you kind of got to follow it a little bit. Mm. But it's so good. Season two should be a little more streamlined because it's not based off of a bunch of short stories. Yeah, I'll definitely have to kind of plow through that before yeah. season two kicks in. Yep. Uh, and then for my comic picks of the week, I've got Batman the Detective issue number four. So good. So oh my god, so good. Uh, Batman Detective Comics issue ten thirty nine. Uh, also, you've got Sinister War issue number one of four. Uh, this one is going to be fucking bonkers because well, Nick Spencer's writing. Yeah. Uh, the description of this one reads: Doctor Octopus is back, and the Sinister War has begun. Ox got a new Sinister Six, and if you think he's brought big, he's thought big in the past. Think again. What Doc doesn't know is that the Vulture has a, a sextet of his own, the Savage Six. It's an all-out war between the two of the greatest villains in the Marvel Universe, and the only person they hate more than each other is Spider-Man. Spidey's in deep trouble with the toughest battle he's ever faced. Nick Spencer and Mark Bagley team up for this epic Spider-Man story guaranteed to shock readers everywhere. 
Spencer is putting Spidey through the goddamn ringer. But that's what you need to do, though. Uh-huh. With every great hero, you need to make their lives miserable. If they're yeah. if it's too happy, it just doesn't work. I mean, this is why Daredevil is like the, the one of the best books ever. Yeah. Because every writer hates him that much that mm-hmm. they absolutely make his life a living hell. Pun intended. Yeah. Like, and, and Nick Spencer is probably putting him through the worst ringer I've seen in quite some time. Well, you got to think too, because now we're going to go to Ben Riley mm-hmm. in a couple weeks. Well, and understandably so, because. Peter's going to need some goddamn time off. Well, yeah, I mean, but to end it on a swan song, especially for getting, how many issues has he written now? Uh, it's up into the 70s. Right, but to be from point A to point B in yeah. this day and age in comics, it's unheard of. Yeah. So obviously he wants to end it on a high note, man. More power, too. It, it's absolutely a legendary run. Uh, some other uh, comic picks for the week from the folks over at IDW. You've got Star Wars, the Phantom Menace graphic novel adaptation. And uh, you might go, oh, my God, Phantom Menace. Eh, why? This is more for the kids. If you got a kid in your life who's, you know, not old enough, they haven't seen Star Wars yet, you don't think they'll sit through it. This, I think, might be a good introduction for them uh, because the, uh, re- uh, the description of this reads, quote, experience the excitement and thrill of the epic Star Wars movies in this young reader-friendly adaptation of Episode One. Peace reigns across the stars, guarded by thousands year, thousand year, years old Jedi Order. But dark forces uh, plot in the shadows to restore the power of the Sith. Long believed gone. Unaware of his, this evil plan, two Jedi Knights rescue Queen Amidala of Naboo and discover a young boy who could uh, forever change the fate of the galaxy. Capturing the galaxy-spanning action of the Phantom Menace, experience Episode One as a beautiful graphic novel combining the epic wonder of Star Wars with streamlined, young reader-friendly designs. So this is perfect for the kids. If you, if you got a kid, you know, or you know, nephew, you know, uh, or son, daughter, whatever that you want to introduce them to Star Wars, but you don't think they'll sit through a movie that long, Yeah, this is perfect for them. This is something that you can read together with them, and it might be a good way to introduce your kids to Star Wars. Who knows? Just skip everything involving Jar Jar. Yeah. Uh, also out this week, you've got Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunter, issue number two. Uh, and then you've got Thor, issue number 15. Donnie Cates is still writing, so it's going to be nuts. Yeah, I mean, Thor has been the flagship for Marvel and for a very long time now, so... Don't expect, wow. Oh, yeah, and I'm showing him the cover. Uh, The cover reads, Revelations start here, and it's got Thor hitting Cap's shield. (sighs) Those guys can't fight. Okay, like, listen, Cap and Tony can fight all day, but Thor has always been Cap's guy. Yeah, we'll say the description of this one reads, The wounds of Donald Blake have not yet healed, and New Hell, with one L, is afoot. Uh, with all inhabitants back in Asgard and Odin's presence returned after being away for away so long, an air of tension now sits upon the throne. Father and son, all father and all father, Odin and Thor. Is the relationship forever doomed, and what does it mean for the Ten Realms? It's going to be an interesting thing. Like I said, this book has been on point, uh-huh. and you know it, it never shows signs slowing down. Like I said, with Kate's writing, like forget about it, man. It's going oh, to be yeah. is a must pick. And I got to definitely throw in a pick, too. Valiant Comics is finally, 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 finally dropping Ninjack number one by Jeff okay. Parker and Javier Polito. Uh, we did a preview for this uh, way back when on ODPH uh, Parlay Points. So definitely swing on over to ODPHpodcast.com, swing over to Parlay Points. You can read it right there. We got some awesome uh, art that was supplied to us from the folks at Valiant Comics. So definitely want to shout them out. I love this book. I'm going to give you an early review. It's fantastic. Okay. Go pick it up if you want. If you've never picked up a Ninja comic, basically mix Batman and James Bond together, and you get some real badass stuff going on. And it is fantastic. 
Highly, highly, highly recommend it. Like I said, swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Check out Parlay Points. It's right on there for under the entertainment section. And you can definitely read the blog because it is, listen, I'm telling you right now, if you want a book to really get into before it takes off, this is the one to go get. Okay. So for my one shots, uh, the Emmy nominations came out. Yes. Now, usually I'm not too big about the award shows because... Sure. You know, honestly, like some are cool, some are not. Like I said, the MTV ones, I, I'm not a big fan of. I yeah. just think, you know, performances are cool. Performances are all cool, but, you know, when we talk about the big ones, you know, the EGOTs, I guess, yeah. and, you know, we, we, Emmy's definitely will cause some discussion. Sure. So I want to like go over a couple things, and there's one big snub I got to address because I've been trying to be calm about it, but I can't. The thoughts, views, and opinions are that of Ken M and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH at large. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you, Pat. So for drama series, uh, here are your nominations. So in Best Drama Series, okay. The Boys okay. from Amazon Prime. Yeah, nobody watches it. Bridgerton okay. on Netflix. Yep. The Crown on Netflix. Uh-huh. The Hands May Tailed on Hulu. Okay. Lovecraft Country on HBO. All right. Some show called The Mandalorian. Best show ever. On Disney Plus. Pose on FX. And This Is Us on NBC. That's a real tough crowd. That's a stacked lineup. Oof. Like that one, I got... Oof. I, I can't be too mad about like that that one if your favorite show doesn't win you can't be mad about that because all of those shows are really good yes and then there was the nominations for lead actor okay so Sterlington K Brown for This Is Us all right Jonathan Majors Lovecraft Country okay Josh O'Connor for The Crown okay I apologize if I butcher this name but Rije Jean Page okay from Bridgerton okay Billy Porter from Pose. And Matthew Ray's from Perry Mason HBO. Hmm. Okay. So, in the last nominations I read off, that was drama series. Okay. The boys are there, right? Yes. How the hell is Anthony Starr not nominated? I have issues. Read off just, not the names, just the shows they're in again. This is Us. Yeah. Lovecraft Country. Okay. The Crown. Yeah. Bridgerton. Uh Uh-huh. Pose. Yeah. Perry Mason. With the exception of Pose, those are some of the most popular television shows on TV. That like I I get the boys is popular and I get it's very much loved, but though the other shows you mentioned, with the exception of Pose, because I can't really speak to it because I, uh, admittedly, never heard of the show until these came out. Those are some of the most popular shows on television. Like This Is Us is got to be like the highest rated show on television right now. I'll give you that. I will fully give you that, but. If you're going to be nominating the boys for best drama, mm-hmm. Anthony Starr's performance as Homelander has been nothing short of fantastic this season. So I just sit there and I'm going like, okay, how do you not put him in? And I guess maybe it's something with the Emmys that they nominate six for lead and eight for supporting. Maybe. Because that's in that conversation. It, it could be a case of like they didn't use all their nominations because I, the, I know the Oscars have done that where it's like, they haven't. They've had like an X number of nominations available, but they nominate like one or two short of that. They do that sometimes. I mean, maybe that's the case, but I just sit there. And I'm like, okay, and maybe I am biased because I have seen the boys, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna shy away from it. I am biased as all hell about this. I just sat there. and I was like, how do you not have him in the nomination? It's like I said, it's stiff competition because the shows those folks are on are some of the most popular shows on broadcast right now i'll give you that but man i'm just like okay it, it it's it's like you know to borrow from sports it's it's like andy roddick andy roddick was a very good tennis player just played in the wrong era you know it, it's it's just very good show great actor just the wrong year yeah 
I don't know. Like I said, I, I'm I'm fuming about that one that he was uh, not nominated. And lead actress Izzo Aduba mm-hmm. was nominated for In Treatment. Okay. Olivia Coleman for The Crown and Emma Corrin for The Crown as well. All right. Elizabeth Moss for The Hands Made Tale. I've never seen the show, but I've just heard nothing but raves. I heard about it's real this. popular. Yeah. Uh, MJ Rodriguez for The Pose okay. and Journey Solette from oh, Lovecraft Country. Okay. So that's your lead actresses. Uh, and like I say, the other one that kind of stuck out, I don't want to spend too much time on going through all the nominations, but in uh, WandaVision, though, we have to give a nod, yeah. was nominated uh, heavily, too, for yeah. a limited series, yep. I believe. Yep. Uh, I know Catherine Hahn was, yep. and obviously Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen. Catherine for, Hahn's got to win. Yeah. They definitely all were nominated. I was just more shocked that I saw for guest actor drama. Yeah. Don Cheadle was nominated for Falcon and Winter Soldier. Hmm. Well, you, you said it was guest actor. So guest actor. So that would imply that it's not my guess, and this is without really knowing anything or digging, looking into it. My guess is when they say guest actor, that like you're literally on there for a episode, and that it, like it's kind of because guest implies that it's not they're not a recurring character. Yeah, like I said, and it's hard to figure out a recurring character with streaming services because they're not like traditional television, right? Because Carl Weathers is nominated in that category for Mandalorian, and yeah. and Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, well, no, Timothy, like, I get because he's one and done. Right, Carl Weathers was fairly on there fairly regularly. Yeah, so like I say, I don't understand that, and it's nothing as John Cheadle. I think he's a fantastic actor. Don't get me wrong, I have no issue with him and his acting because he is fantastic. Yeah. I just don't understand like how you do that because, spoiler alert, he was in for all of, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. I think the thing you're learning that I learned a long time ago is these nomination processes are very bizarre and don't make a lot of sense, and you just got to take it and roll with it. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. So, I mean, it is the Emmys. So, so it's, it, it's like the one your uh, Hurt Locker won uh, the Oscar for Best Picture. Saw, I've seen Hurt Locker. It's a very good movie. It's not the best movie of that year. Oh, and I grant you, but that's like I'm just sitting here just going over that. And that just kind of stuck out because, like, I'm sorry. Like, I am biased about the boys. I have been screaming about the performance of Anthony Starr for so long. Like, it just doesn't register how he didn't get nominated. Not saying he was going to win. Yeah. But then again, it's like I don't understand these award shows sometimes with the nominations. Like like I said, it's very bizarre. Yeah, like why do we have eight nominees for one category, six for another, eight then, and we we flip-flop back and forth, and it's just like it just kind of spirals. So... But I digress. I mean, that's kind of where my uh, gears are, so to speak, grinding. So that is going to be taking place. If you want to check out more about the Emmys, it's going to be broadcasting Sunday, September 19th, and uh, airing on CBS, and I believe it will also be on Paramount Plus for streaming I'll as say, well. Or if you don't want to spend your time watching that whole thing, follow on Twitter. It's a lot more fun. Yeah, we won't be covering it, though. No, but I, I just say, <laughs> if, if, if watching awards is very time-consuming because they're like four fucking hours. Following on Twitter is a lot more fun because it's all the you find out all the awards with like a thousand percent more snark. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're into that, like I said, go check that out. Uh, also, uh, we did get a still photo from Dwayne, Dwayne the Rock Johnson for Black Adam. Oh yeah, so we did get some footage from that. So it's been working out. He's definitely been working out. He's been definitely doing some big things. So obviously, that movie is very, very highly anticipated here on, yeah. by the panel. So still filming, I believe. Yes. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. Obviously, didn't get a lot of information about that. Yeah, it's hard to tell. Yep. And we did get a new trailer for Titans season three. Now, obviously, we've been talking about it. it's dropping on August twelfth on HBO Max. And we did get some idea of what's going on. Obviously, we know it's going to be in Gotham, and we know it's going to be based 
around the Red Hood, and we do see a lot of footage that they're going to be implementing the Joker is behind it. Mm. Now, they have not shown any Joker footage, so I don't want to even speculate about that. But we do see the Red Hood in his uh, entirety. We do see that there are a lot of Arkham favorites in this show. Obviously, we've mentioned Barbara Gordon is going to be in the show, played by Savannah Welch. And Vincent Carthiers mm-hmm. is playing Jonathan Crean. So we are going, or Carthriser, is going to be uh, on the show as well. So definitely something to go check out. I mean, Titans... I am very it's a it's a love hate relationship yeah. with that show. Yeah. Like some episodes I really love and some I'm like, what are we doing here? If folks? they're doing Red Hood, can they please and I realize the season's probably done it in the can, but I really hope that they work in the phone number somehow. Oh my well, you know what they before DC Universe got cancelled. Yeah. Um and, or I should say before it got transitioned. Rebranded. To, yeah, rebranded, thank you. They did have a pull up okay. for it because when they introduced Jason Todd, they, yeah. they teased, like, what do you think should happen? Now, they weren't going to do it on the show, but they wanted right. to see. I don't, I'm just saying, like, if they, even if they can work in, like, like if, if somebody's watching TV and an, an infomercial is on TV and the phone number on the TV happens to be the same phone number from that infamous 1 800 line, mm-hmm. that'd be really funny. It definitely would. So, like I said, I'm not mad about that one bit. And obviously, Titans is coming back on August 12th, same week as Stargirl. Like, there's a lot of stuff coming back in August. I am down for that, but we'll have to kind of wait and see when we get there, shall we? So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH is that of Shout at the Robots. They're fantastic people, Pat. Mm -hmm. Absolutely think the world of them. If I want to find out more about what's going on with them, where do I go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the music section. You check out everything going on with Shout. You check out everything going on with Brian Wolf. You check out everything going on with Second Suitor, who's playing a gig at the X. Yo. That's going to be absolutely wild. You can check out everything going on with Yard Party, Tom Jolu, Floodlands, the list goes on and on and on. And also while you're at the website, swing on over to the Classifieds. That's where you can find friends of the show. You can also find organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we are in because, you know, my rule, if you're in a pod group and you're not in Podchaser, not in a group. Even though Good Pods is starting to take on some heat. I'm just saying that we have an apocalypse group there now, and that's growing every day. Just saying. But we definitely want to shout out everybody in our favorite groups, obviously, Apocalypse, Inner Circle, and, of course, hashtag 607podcast, and our friends over at 8122 Productions, Rich Ron, Mike C, and hashtag Big Nanny Cool, still on Twitter, Pat. Yikes. And, man, oh, man, oh, man, did he ever have a lot of takes coming out of the UFC this past weekend. So if you swing on over to twitch.tv slash 607podcast, you can hear them all. If you want that uncut stuff, though, $1 gets you in the door, $3 gets you comfy seat at the table on patreon.com slash 8122productions. All of that and so much more. From your favorite New York Comic Con press podcast. Mm-hmm. That's right, I said it. In case you've been living under a rock and you haven't heard, the ODPH is returning to New York Comic Con this October. Pad, myself, Rich from 3FN, and Dre Driven are going to give you all the press com- coverage you need in your system. And we definitely have our good friend Tyler Mack from 30 and Nerdy joining us this year. So we got a lot of stuff going on for October. If you want to keep on track of everything we got doing, simple. Make sure you're following us at odphpodcast.com. Man, I'm getting so hyped up I can't even talk. Luckily, that's all I got for this week. So for the one only Pat O1J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Kenna. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.